Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Lasso Lowdown. We give you the lowdown on all things Ted Lasso. I am your host, Lee. I am here. I am joined by my trusty co-host, Spencer. Spencer, how are you? Delighted to be in your physical presence. Isn't that exciting? We are here together. We are attending the wedding of another member of the Mangum Talks Podcast Network, BJ, who is on Mangum Reads with you, who mm-hmm. does pottering around with you, who does Wizards Wheezes with you, where he has complaints every podcast about the inconsistencies in the Harry Potter universe. Mm-hmm. He's getting married this week. That means you and I are in the same room. It's electric, Spencer. We're going to have a good time. It's going to be a blast. All right. Let's jump into our podcast. We are here to review episode 10 of Ted Lasso season three. We are marching toward the end. This is the uh, pre-pre-pre-finale, maybe. It's the third to last episode. Pre-penultimate, that's right. That's the way we can put it. Episode 10. Spencer, what did you think of the episode? It's one of the episodes where I thought the actors were all at the top of their game. I thought there were some effective emotional scenes. It, it, it just falls into the criticism to have the overall season of where I feel like some of these plot lines could have been just all that much better if they'd been better set up and better structured. There were several of where they seemed like they just kind of appeared in this episode. Where my inclusion was, oh, that was good, but wouldn't it have been so much better if they'd gotten some lead in over the last rest of the season? So we'll hit some of those when we get to them, but my overall opinion was I liked the episode. I just feel like there's certain scenes they could have done that much better if the entire seasons had been more organized and planned around them. I'm almost done. I shut down a text conversation that you and I were having. You did, yeah. Of ours where I was like, I just don't want to talk about it anymore. Because I'm almost done, and this is a heck of a thing to say if you're running a podcast. I'm here. Go on. I'm always done like arguing about Ted Lasso with people because here's, here's the thing. Here's what I think I've discovered. What have you discovered? Is that people? The show doesn't know what it wants to be. It either it, the show is waffling between a one-hour dramatic, ep, dramatic series with mm-hmm. many plot lines that's serial that you care about where the characters go, etc., and the half-hour comedy oddball format. And it's, season one versus season two in season three, and it's just so mashed up, right? And when I hear people complain, it's usually because of that dynamic. They're saying things like you're saying, like, "Hey, these plot lines weren't." as developed as I would like them to be. Well, I, I my opinion of that is that you're looking at it through the lens of like a one-hour drama show. Sure. Which, I mean, why wouldn't you? It's one hour. There's dramatic elements. But then there's other people who say, holy crap, it's too long. They're jamming too much into it. Like it's, it's taking itself too seriously. Mm-hmm. It's preachy. It's this, this, that, and the other. And it's like those are the people who really enjoyed the half-hour oddball format. And when the show waffles like this, which it's doing... I think that people kind of come at it from either side, and I just get exhausted because I'm like, yes, I, I know that the show is straddling the two lines. Everything you're saying is true. I just don't care. Exactly, because like I tend to, and you, you, this is why we, I think, make some interesting conversation because you don't, you don't approach it the same way. Mm-mm. I tend to try not to let perfect be the enemy of good with television, right? If it's still I, good. I wish I could do that. I can't. If it's still good, I'm still enjoying it. It's why I would enjoy something like Mandalorian Season 3 where you were probably not super excited to watch each episode each week. Mm-hmm. And that's why something like this, which is clearly not perfect, not, not saying it is, is still very, very fun to me. And they had these like cheap, I shouldn't say cheap, they had these like obvious moments of, I'm going to try to make you cry. Right. I want to affect the audience. And like, I watch shit like this because I like to cry watching television mm-hmm. in the same way I like to laugh and the same way I like to feel scared and the same way I like to feel tension. Like, I am okay with that being on the spectrum of emotions for me. So when they go for something like that, I eat it up. I like it. I lean into it. Mm-hmm. I could see how some people who 
if that's not in their sort of palette of emotions that they bring to these television shows, would think, well, why did they go on for 20 minutes trying to make me cry in this sort of oddball screwball comedy? This episode seemed like it combined a lot of those moments together, because this was an episode that was focused on, I think, maybe resolving a lot of the secondary characters or secondary plot lines going into the last two episodes, which are probably going to be more Ted and Rebecca-focused. So how many cry moments did you have this episode? I think they've at least set up maybe three or four before they were done. Yeah, definitely three for me. And we'll talk about them as we go through it. So you will lead the recap as mm-hmm. you do every week. Heroically, bang, bang, shoot him up. Spencer, podcast professional that he is, comes in every week and leads the recap. I will chime in with my thoughts, witticisms, comments, musings, and then mm-hmm. we'll jump to best line of... No, we don't do best line of the episode here. What we do is um, train wreck of the episode and... Ted's Life Lessons, mm-hmm. which we will do along with Sports Center Top 10, which is a segment where we every week on the nose, perfectly scientifically proven, Tim. only do 10 things Couldn't that we like about the episode, want to discuss more, feel like, deserves more discussion. We will jump into the Sports Center Top 10 when we get there. Before Spencer jumps in the recap, I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank you all for like the fan engagement that we've been getting. You know, I come on this podcast a couple of times. A few weeks ago, and I talked about how I was getting kind of worn down. I was getting a lot of negativity from the internet. Our fans responded in mass. Mm-hmm. I don't think they want us to just stop the pods. <laughs> from what I can tell, people seem to want to continue having us do the pods, right? And so that was noticed by me, right? Spencer, I filter the stuff. I give it to Spencer. Spencer does not manage our social media accounts. I do. Thank Christ. And the tone has changed since I came on this podcast and said I was getting a little worn down with the negativity. The tone has shifted a lot. I just want to thank everybody for that. And also thank everybody for the outpouring of support for Spencer for um, when his dog passed. Sincerely. Which was a super cool thing that you all did. We had this wonderful thread on our Mango Talks Facebook page where you were kind enough to give us a picture of your of your dog. And then people came in and posted a bunch of pictures of their dogs, etc. I posted a picture of my spirit animal cat, the black cat Picasso, um, which I dropped into the chat there, but it was really cool to see all that fan engagement. So please keep doing that. Go to facebook.com slash Mangum Talks. Um, you can join our group without any of those pre-questions. A lot of these types of podcasts, I don't know if you, you this is not something you'd know, but they, um, their Facebook groups, they are very like exclusive about it. Like they have like all these like, they have like trivia to see if you're like a real fan to get in. We don't have any of that. You can no join too. You, you can go to also go to twitter.com slash Mangum Talks. Follow us. I, uh, post a lot of stuff on the, on the Twitter account. I just like to engage with fans. It's a lot of fun. And of course you can always see what we're up to, what we're reviewing, the pods that we're doing, the pods that are active by going to facebook.com or by going to mangumtalks.com. Uh, or by going to your favorite podcast platform and typing in Mangum Talks. That's the keywords. That's the metadata. That's been tagged. If you type in Mangum Talks, you will get all of our stuff. So before the recap, we have a couple segments we like to do. First is Biscuits with the Boss. Spencer, what sweet treat did you bring to the podcast? I brought a sweet treat that you brought for me, of where you know before all that my... I ask you, sir, what is my favorite dessert in the entirety of the world? The man likes a cookie. A proper chocolate chip cookie. cookie. I don't need much. Keep things simple. Keep things delightful. You brought me an insomnia cookies, chocolate chip cookie, and I'm going to delight in indulging in this in the course of the podcast. Here's the thing I like about insomnia cookies. Now, if you take a bite of it, you will notice this right away. Mm -hmm. Break it in half and and bite the middle. Somehow, the middle stays like it just came out of the oven. Oh, it's molten. I don't know how it stays like it just came out of the oven, the middle. Mm. I bought those yesterday. Still soft, still gooey, still delicious. I don't know how it does that. Insomnia Cookie is really cool about that. I actually was visiting our alma mater, the campus of UNC Chapel Hill, mm-hmm. and Insomnia Cookies was there. Insomnia Cookies, 
Uh, cookie cheating is very popular uh, in and around colleges mm-hmm. and universities. I'll tell you this. As someone who does not drink alcohol, I really appreciate that there's been a heavy trend toward like bakeries, cookie stores, bubble tea places. Like it mm-hmm. seems like in these like college towns or places where there's a lot of like activity in urban areas, the the number of neighborhood bars is decreasing and the number of like neighborhood like bubble tea or cookie places is skyrocketing. And I'm all in for that. I think it's in some ways reflecting also from what I'm reading in statistics, the younger, gen- the younger generation just isn't drinking as much as we were back in the day. Yeah. Other alternatives to have fun. Good. Yeah. Instead, uh, we need to really scale up that diabetes medicine. This generation's going to do it. There's always going to be problems. There's always going to be issues. (laughs) We'll adjust. (laughs) Insomnia cookies. Uh, All right. So I am going to do Tea Time with Lee, where I attempt to convince Ted that hot tea is not quite as bad as he thinks it is. God help you for this episode. So here's the one I got this week, and it's kind of... It's not really tea, but they call it tea. All right, so I am. I have picked Nigerian tea. Mm. When you go to Nigeria and you say, I want tea, you get something that isn't tea. It's like a weird like phrasing. like of, um, They call it Nigerian tea, but what, what you get is something that is evaporated milk, hmm. Milo, which is like a... What is that? Um, Milo is like a... Uh, Malted beverage, chocolate beverage. It's like a powder, a malted, mm. malted chocolate powder. And then, of course, hot water. You mix those three things together. It's really like a hot, like you're a really, hot chocolate. It's like a juiced up hot chocolate and they call it Nigerian tea. I'm down. So the, I'll tell you this about the Nigerians. Love this about them. I love visiting Nigeria. Nigeria is a wonderful place to visit, by the way. They like their sweet treats. Mm. Maybe even more than Spencer. They are big about their sweet treats. Sir, to the point, to the point that if you order tea in Nigeria, you get basically a hot chocolate. So that's what I've got this week. I've got a Nigerian tea. It is Milo, which, you know, you can always go get like your, your standard like hot chocolate mix in America, but Milo you could order online and it does have a little bit of a funky tang to it. So it's maybe, maybe worth trying, maybe worth ordering in your evaporated milk and hot water. Mm-hmm. We're both going to be jacked up on sugar for this podcast. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. Energy. All right. <clears throat> That's our segments. You want to jump into the recap? I'm ready if you are. All right. Fire away. All right. The episode opens with surprise news, both in universe and out. Woo! Nate is out at West Ham. Adios, Nate. I say with a small amount of disdain, entirely off camera and in between episodes. He Lee, really didn't like that. You know how much those kind of things target me. He really didn't like that. You know, tell the audience why you don't like that. I think it's just kind of unfair, particularly for these kind of dramatic moments for the character that they incur entirely off camera. It's that you've been building up to this kind of moment. It's an important part of the character growth. It's setting where you're going to go for the rest of the season with respect to this character's journey. Having it occur off camera feels like a bit of a cop-out. Now, it's not as bad as we talked about in certain other things, like, say, Star Wars recently. Damn. Of where you literally can't understand what's happening unless you read a book or see a side video game or the magazine or comic book that they've released with respect to it. To varying degrees. This isn't that kind of world, but I still do find it frustrating when a major plot point is occurring secondary and in the background to otherwise what the main focus of the show is. Yeah, so here it doesn't bother me as much because I think they're going for mystery box storytelling. I think they're going for a thing happened and now we have to unpack that box in the the later episodes. I don't think it's lazy. I think it's we want the audience in suspense about what actually occurred. Mm -hmm. And that's creates a, a new it, tension in the storytelling, which I'm a fan of. If they do end up pulling that thread, that will be a successful enough execution to it. I still 
Mystery box storytelling works for me if it's over the course of like a season of build up and mystery. We're in the we're, we're in the back very much corner. There's not going to be much of an opportunity to hide what's going on here, and it's well, we could probably read the tea leaves as to what occurred anyway. Yeah, I mean, sure. We, I mean, I think we all have a, our suspicion that he quit because he was fed up with Rupert. I mean, we have and this, his womanizing and everything else, and we have the very like and a, Jade, and we have a really, I think, um, a line that clues us in from Trent mm-hmm. here in a few minutes. That will give us an idea about what's going on. But I don't know. I, I liked it because when it happened, I immediately assumed, oh, he, uh, he got fired. But then it turns out he quit. And so but unpacking all it, this is kind of fun. It, it is debated back and forth in universe as to what exactly happened. I think our reasonable assumption is that he quit from other scenes that we get in the I think he episode. quit. And I think that Rupert has tried to frame it as I fired him. To maintain a position of power and control the way he likes to. Indeed, indeed. Well... We don't precisely know the details. We'll find out more later. It is interesting that Wonder now, Kid. now that he has left the protective mantle of this position, the announcers are already talking shit about him. It did not take long. Unbelievable. Is it his former coach, his grand coach, is already saying, well, obviously he wasn't the genius. He was my kit man. Because now that he's left that position behind, that's all he is. He's le- he's lost the protection of the lofty title. Everything about that old coach sucks, and like Rebecca firing it's his in five seconds is awesome because, like, I mean, you know, you have to start somewhere, mm-hmm. and like always going back to somebody's first job. I mean, you can make anybody look silly by saying, "Well, he used to do X." Like, heck, I used to, um, you know, like uh, I was a an assistant janitor for a movie theater that had two screens. <laughs> sure. And that's how we always see you, no matter like, where I you got go. I like paid 20 bucks a week or something in college, high school to go in and sweep the floors. Hey. Like, but now I have a career. Like, you can always go back to somebody's first job and try to minimize, you know, their importance in whatever career field they're in. I think it's a bullshit move. I think it is. And I, I don't think this coach has had any role other than to be the guy that espouses bullshit. He's, yeah. me- he's meant to be a heel for he all of this. stinks. Well, at the same time, though, Richmond and the rest of the Premier League is setting up for the international break, where players go home to play for their home teams for various reasons, as we'll talk about later. But the main source of public discussion being Sam, who's apparently been kicking ass on Richmond's 10-game now winning streak. The expectation is he will play for the Nigerian national team, which has been a goal for him from the word go, we've seen with respect to this character. Kind of hurts my feelings, y'all don't want to spend next weekend with me, but I am the strong silent type, and I'm going to let you know. But... I'm also allowed weak, because I, like most humans, contain multitudes. Spencer, do you contain multitudes? No, as we've seen, I'm only here to offer salt and scorn. That's my only role. Very surface level. Uh, I think this is the first year we've seen the international break. It's usually something that happens every year, sometimes for longer periods in the event of the world. I was surprised it was only a week. It, it's, it's really like one, it's basically missing one game. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, Ted offers his encouragements to the team, and then he goes down the list of who will be representing their home countries. To go down the list... Jamie is playing for England Jamie for the first time. Do, 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 do. Jamie Tark, do, 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 do. Every's ha- Everybody's happy for him. Uh, Van Dam, don't get the name wrong, is going back home to play play for Canada. Random. Uh, Danny is going home from Mexico. We'll talk more about that the in a minute. Uh, Bumbercatch apparently is playing for Switzerland. I'm as surprised as Ted was by this. Yeah, look at me. Uh, yeah, right, sure, that's on me. Uh, Colin for Wales, we knew about Shout that. Shout out. He's earned it. And that's it. No Sam. No one else. Nothing. No Sam. No Nigeria. And everyone gets quiet because they know, everyone knows the snub that everyone yeah. else is thinking about. They don't know why yet, but they do recognize the snub. Jamie immediately goes over to reassure Sam, who I think it's fair to say clearly is hurt by the news. He almost seems like he's not overly surprised, but he seems hurt by it. 
I think he may even have a suspicion that plays out later. Let's go ahead and wish our friends Godspeed or whatever narcotic your deity chooses to self-medicate with. <laughs> Van Damme also goes to greet Danny. Uh, what's Danny's temperament from here on after in the episode, Lee? I am not your bro. We are not enemies. You will be my bitch. <laughs> Danny has gone full... Remember Led Tasso from season two? Led Tasso. He's gone full <laughs> Led Tasso. I will acknowledge this is funny. This is funny. Three three moments we get to this over the course of the episode. I was going to ask you about that because you've been a harsh critic of the the Danny character. I think rightfully so. It's been very one note. The jokes have been repetitive. You're okay with this the switch? Yes and no. I think it's funny. I wish we'd gotten more of this earlier. Though. This is in the category of plot lines of where we've never gotten any hint that Danny operated this way back with Mexico or with respect to other teammates on other teams or the team other players on other teams. He's only ever been a ray of sunshine. He's only ever been a gold retriever. Just happy to be there. It would have been kind of fun if we'd gotten some hint of this that, oh no, he's great with his own team, but he's a profound asshole with everybody else. I have all, I almost exclusive, I mean, of course I watch the show because we do the podcast, but yes. like if I wasn't doing the podcast, podcast professional, I would probably watch this show exclusively for Jamie Tart. Like when he goes over to Sam and he's like, hey man, you, you good, you yeah, good? It's like, a great thing. I, he he's just grown so much, and he's developed into a guy that I just have so much like genuine affection and care. I care for oh, yeah. so much that like when he does stuff like that, like he calls him twenty four, and then of course you know we have where's that the jersey later? later. Like that's the stuff that like makes Ted Lasso for me. Like I almost get choked up even talking about it right now because like I just like this is what I do in my career. Like I manage people mm-hmm. in my career, and and the thing that draws me to work is seeing people become the best versions of themselves. And that's Jamie's what he's real doing. Success story. And that's what I, I just, I'm a fucking sucker for it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, might be all that you give. It yeah, guess it's my will be. You done? Heaven, no time. Song's over. You're done. Okay. In her office, Ted and Rebecca are talking wine delivery services in a very female reproductive kind of framing. You tell me it only shows up once a month? Never skips a month? Unless you're pregnant. Man, oh shoot, i got to check out this wine delivery. <laughs> Sounds like a real corker. Yes. Well done. Uh, before moving on the conversation, though, to the subject of Nate, uh, Ted offers, well, boss, I'm like an incomplete list of Madeline Kahn's best films. I ain't got no clue. Had to pause it? That was a genius line. Love that line. More on that. The Sports Center Times in. He then also then tries to defer on the subject of gossiping because he's not really comfortable with it. To it's a, you. N- this is you. No, no, no. I like gossip. Totally, I like you gossip. You fucking hate it. You, I, I try to get Spencer to gossip all the fucking time, uh, and I, I can't get him to do it. He doesn't like doing it. I think it. you've literally said before, I suck at girl talk. So, you, yeah. God, man, it's so it's such a conversation that we would have where you're like, I don't know. I'm just not I, thinking, I, I think everybody's great. Both sides I, are good. Ted, like me, tries. He expresses the idea that there may have been some inappropriate workplace uh, behavior occurring at West Ham. There were rumors on the subject. Trance. Goes unexplained what exactly he means, or even what exactly those rumors are, and what they mean by inappropriate workplace behavior. There's a certain assumption, though, of what he's going for there. Trent has reached a level where, when he says something, there's more um, umph, there's more uh, spine mm-hmm. to it than anybody, else, than anybody else in the show, right? Yeah, like because when he speaks, he, he doesn't say much, but when he speaks up and says something like this, I believe it over anything any other character would say. It's got validity, in a way. But anything else is just gossip. This is this has a ring of truth to it. They both agree that Nate probably isn't capable of that. Well, it depends how they mean that. 
We've seen Nate be pretty abusive to employees at West Ham previously. Not women. They're, no. they're thinking that the, like, the the cl- sexual harassment. They're thinking he did. Closely with women is him kissing Keeley, but it doesn't fall into the category I think they're really going for here. Some of our fans thought that was that was very much in it that. Wasn't, it wasn't consented to. It was very clearly uncomfortable. We had not seen him treat people at West Ham in that particular light, other than just being rude to people. He has, I think he has engaged in workplace inappropriate behavior at West Ham, but not with respect to sexual harassment that we've seen. I think that the difference for me would be that like what Nate did was sexual assault. Like he, he kissed someone sure. who did not want to be kissed. And Keely is such a fucking awesome G like that she just can play off anything, including having her funding pulled and being fired and still be fucking charming <sighs> in the episode. She fucking rules in every respect, but it still was completely out of line and inappropriate. But when she said no, he said, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I think that might be the difference with him and Rupert. Because yes. I think Rupert would have just laughed in her face and kept going. Yes. Tr- treated it as if it was her issue rather than his. Yeah. Higginbottoms! Higgins walks in because he's got some scuttlebutt. Ooh, I don't like awesome, but, but, but don't mind a little scuttle. <laughs> Apparently, through his... The level of spy connections that Higgins has. Apparently, through being a member of the directors of Beep Operations. Well, Rebecca, I am the director of football operations. Now, so I'm going to start doing this in episodes. Please. Uh, I did it last week. I'm going to do it again. When he says, well, Rebecca, I am the director of football operations, she gives him a look like, well, lock deep fucking not. <laughs> and I, pa- I paused, took a picture. I'm putting it on our Facebook page. So go to facebook.com slash mangum talks. The, the exact moment I'm talking about is here. And if it doesn't get you a belly laugh, then this show might not be for you because mm. this is like the peak funny of this show where Rebecca, who just gets, gets as much of a kick out of Higgy Bottoms as I do, of course. is just so amused that he's like getting all like, huh, well, <laughs> let me tell you about my position. Oh, dear. Uh, the information that he's acquired is that Edwin Akufu, haven't seen you since season two, uh, is in town and he is working to create a new Super League. T- uh, more about that later. Uh, Ted is briefly confused on whether billionaires are creating a new Justice League, but has it clarified to him that, to quote, the Super League is when the world's biggest and wealthiest teams decide to compete against each other. So, not only would David never go to face Goliath, the Davids could cease to exist altogether. Controversial idea both in-universe and out. Rebecca, rightfully, as it turns out, suspects that Rupert may be involved, because speak of the, speak of the devil while they're discussing this, the devil calls. To broach... Briefly, as we'll concern, uh, which briefly Ted is concerned on the subject that it may actually be Lucifer on the other line, but it's clarified that it isn't. How's Rebecca look this episode? Uh, looks fine. Looks oh. quite fine. Interesting. Okay. Didn't notice. Uh, Keely also looks quite nice, as we'll see later in several moments of this episode. Also didn't notice. You are, you are above such things. You're like Higgins. Just no thoughts whatsoever to anything in that I was world. paying a lot of attention to Higgy Bottoms this episode. That is tea dropping. God, you get another tea drop scene. I forgot about that. Fucking, we'll get there. The goat scene of this, the whole season. Uh, Nate, meanwhile, wakes up from what seems like a rough day the prior day. So, clearly, he's got some sort of, like, trauma-onset depression here. Because you don't yes. lay in bed for 20, 24 hours a day without being depressed. Uh, he's expressing worries to Jade about whether he was an idiot for specifically quitting his job, is the implication. Which clarifies to us that whatever happened, Nate was the one that drove he it all. He did quit. Uh, she reassures him, but unfortunately timing could be better because she's about to go off to Poland for family, which apparently there's something involving screwing in light bulbs, which wasn't exactly explained, but Nate treats it as a joke, but apparently isn't. I think this is actually great timing. 
Mm-hmm. Because I don't think that they're at a place in their relationship where he should lean on her 100% in this situation. That is fair. He, he needs to find his own feet here. Yeah, he's got to do that. He's got to work his way out of this without just leaning on her 100% because if he leans on her 100% and she leaves, he'll fall. Yes. He can't. He, his, mm-hmm. sense Build of, your own foundation. his sense of self-worth and happiness cannot be derived out of Jade's acknowledgement and, and approval. So I think this is great that she's leaving. Uh, what isn't so great, though, is that the reporters are not letting him have the opportunity to come to terms with what happened because they're forming a gauntlet outside of the apartment that he's at, the house that he's at. You hate to see that. Uh, it happens. This is an international news story at this point. They're not going to leave him alone until they can talk to him, which he's not. I don't think he's presently in a move to really have a discussion with him. Doesn't look like that. Uh, other people are having difficult days. Keely doesn't know that she's about to walk into one herself. So we did call this. We did. Um, you know, I, I, I called that in the next couple episodes, Jack would, would pull funding, and that's exactly what she's done. Uh, in the most cowardly way possible, maybe fair to say? Yeah, she stinks. I don't know what to tell you. She just sucks. Uh, it's like it's the, pretty simple. We had, a pretty, sucks. we had a pretty positive view of this character on day one. It did not survive day three. <laughs> she's terrible. Uh, she returns to her office, at least what was her office, to find that it's been practically gutted and all, all, the, all the employees who were on contract through a venture capital provider have been called away. Dan says what we're all thinking and calls Kiwi the nicest and hottest boss he's ever had. That's a complicated compliment. Uh, she seems like she just appreciates the compliment, the complicated compliment, though. Uncle Lee out there to the kids. Just don't ever say I mean, this is a funny moment in the show. That's great. Don't ever say that to your boss. Dan? Ever. Dan seems so happy that he said it, though. Yeah, well, Grant's great. But just don't let's not Let's just not do that. Advice from Uncle Lee here. Uh, Barbara, meanwhile, clarifies that the board of the VC has pulled funding, which she was told Jack would let Keeley know about. Jack hasn't even bothered to send an email on this subject. She's chicken shit. Utter chicken she's shit. Scared. Complete. Yeah. It's like she doesn't want to have a difficult conversation. Because she's doing this. This is not a business decision. It's because Keeley had, Keeley was violated and a private video of hers was released that embarrassed Jack because Jack had a romantic she's connection associated to you, with and such she's punishing her for it and it is the most bullshit of bullshits. It, it, it is an Put it wherever bullshit is, put it above. A whole new category of bullshit being explored here? 100%. Fuck Jack. She's out. She's out! How would you describe Barbara's reaction to finding out Jack hasn't even had the courtesy to tell Keely? I think that Barbara knows Jack kind of stinks. And I think she's had to suck up to her. Mm-hmm. And I think just we have these little clues, like like how she, how how Barbara has to become a completely different person when Jack comes around. Yeah, like I think if you're if you're very fake, put on. like so I manage people, right? Like, yeah, and it is my goal. I don't always succeed, but it is my goal that they feel like they can be them, their genuine selves around me. Barbara like, can. I try really. I really want that to be the space that we have. Barbara becomes a completely different person when Jack comes around. Uh, two, she has a hundred bajillion snow globes because fucking Jack sends her to every part of the world for three months and then quits, like not thinking about her personal life and her own stability and like how painful that must be. Because that was the beautiful moment about those snow globes, right? Is that Barbara was conveying to Keely, I struggle here. This is not, I don't have an easy job. I'm constantly on the road. I can't build relationships and a foundation. And these snow globes are representative of that. Fuck Jack all the way around the circle. Yeah. I've been rather critical of some aspects of Keeley's story, the introduction of Jack, Shandy, in terms of what role that she played. Barbara, I think, has been a rather successful character. She's great. Because we've had time to understand her and get to know her and understand her facades and actually what's underneath. Wasn't necessarily expecting her to have a full juicy tracksuit, but I'm happy. To, it fits now with what I understand about the character. And she is on the trend spectrum. When Barbara says something, there's some umph to it. Like yes. I, 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 I perk uh, up and listen. There's a professional voice behind this. For show, for show. Uh, Keeley... 
takes to her desk for what may be one of the last times she gets to actually, you know, hold it there, and is clearly barely keeping it together with respect to this revelation upon revelation. She came to terms enough last episode with some difficulty that her relationship with Jack is done. She clearly didn't see this coming about how just utterly, I'll call it even monstrous, Jack has turned out to be. So did you hear what the moving guys were saying? Oh, they were talking about Nate. They were well, talking, if he doesn't, if, hell, if he doesn't want to coach West Ham for bloody millions, I'll do it. Happy, happy to volunteer myself. Won't do a good job, but you know. Yeah, I wouldn't. Uh, I don't think I'd work for Rupert. I think he sucks. I think that was kind of the point here is that like fans have this like super surface level like well, view of things it, that are going on and like Nate quit for a really fucking good reason, I think, where it's not been teased out yet, but I think so. Well, and so it, I think that's kind of what they're going Well, for. it fits the media narrative we've already seen. They're already turning against Nate because they don't, they're not hearing anybody other than having these talking heads say, oh yeah, well, he was never anything anyway. Yes. Okay. That's Yeah. I think that is a, I, I like that connection. Yep. Uh, on the plane across the pond, Van Dam and Danny are sitting close together. Are these guys in business class, or are they actually sitting in coach? It looks like first class to me. I mean, the, 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 couldn't, the, couldn't tell from the number of seats. The, well, it looks like two on each side, and You're right. like they have plenty of space. So I'm going to go first class here. Well, that it, would make sense. It if would fit. Yeah. If they're good enough players that they're going to play for their actual national team, Canada and Mexico, which are pretty big national teams. They'd foot the bill. I'm actually kind of surprised that they're not a charter jet, but they would certainly be first, first class. Uh, Van Dam is again trying to be friendly with Danny, his teammate. His his friend offers him some chips. Danny, silently, and I'd say almost ritually, while staring daggers at Van Damme, crushes and dumps the entire bag on the floor, which is among the most douche-move things we've ever seen on the show. Yeah, it's like, dude, the fucking Viagin has to clean that up. Yeah, <clears throat> this is not just a dick to this guy. You've been a dick to the entire plane right now. Yeah, I don't... I don't the whole thing with um, Danny kind of turning heel... That doesn't work for you? It didn't work for me, no. I didn't, I didn't find it very it, funny. It was individual funny scenes for me, but it's in the category of, if you were going to reveal this, you had to set this up earlier. Because this is just a sudden swerve for a character that's only been a ball of sunshine before this. It goes back to the, the 1990s, like Chris Rock versus Jim Carrey, right? Like, Interesting, I, go on. I always preferred Chris Rock because he stood there on stage and told you witty jokes that were out. It was about the writing. Jim Carrey's comedy, for the most part in mm-hmm. the 90s, was about how he performed lines. His wackiness. Will, Will Ferrell falls into this sometimes too. It's how he performs lines. The, right, right, written on a page, Danny grabs the chips, crushes it, and drops it on the floor. Isn't funny. Mm-hmm. The way they're going for funny is it's physical comedy. It's sure. acting it out. That shit often falls flat for me. I want funny writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, as for Richmond... Ted and Beard are talking about the last practice with Sam apparently playing on tilt. I think it's Beard offering. It's hard to see the ball when your eyes are full of tears. He's clearly not taking his rejection by the Nigerian team well. <sighs> Ted tries to reassure Sam with a, with various Michael Jordan stories, which are the stories that Ted offers true, I presume. Well, about that in the Sports Center top ten. We'll get there. Sam is knowledgeable about them already. He doesn't even need to listen to Sports Center top ten, so it doesn't really land the way that Ted wants. Regardless, Ted tells him to be a goldfish. And make use of their potentially multiple years-long memories to dwell endlessly over the subject of his pain. Go ahead. Ruin it for everybody. I, I, that's all I'm going to say. Just offering it right yeah, there. Go ahead. You need to ruin it for everybody. They, it's, a, it's, a fal- it's a false rumor they don't have memories. They actually have memories. They can be trained. They can remember people. They can have, you know, they're not, they're not, they're functional creatures. They can remember shit. But yeah, it's, it's a stereotype that they have five-second memories, and Ted has referenced that, because he doesn't vet his, his citations. He had to ruin it. He had to well actually it. I'm here for that. That's my role in the show. If you don't want me to do it, I'm sorry. Uh, Beard and Jane have plans, meanwhile, to go for axe-throwing at Hatchet Rock. The Wonder Toad. Which, 
Honestly, hatchet and rye, you'd skip the rye. But come on, hatchet throwing, doesn't that sound fun? Uh, yeah, I've done that. Have you done it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fun. It's, qu- it's quite fun. It's terror. Uh, it's kind of terrifying at first, but you get used to it. Well, but it is not number one on the list of current like trends of like like bougie like places that pop up in these little downtown urban areas. Number mm-hmm. one for me, bullet, of kind Bar of far above. It's not even one A one B. It's one in a, in a small distance, a large distance away from two. Is the escape room? I love mm-hmm. escape rooms more than I like any of these other trends. Thank you for arranging one of those, by the way, for the bachelor party, the, the, our, our last trip in New Orleans. You haven't Orleans. done that one of those. Those are actually really a lot of fun. Now, now I think that axe throwing, part of the appeal is you're drinking during it. Like, I, yes. I, I think that that's part of the fun. It's like going bowling or archery or all those kind of activities that you're almost more fun drunk. But if you're doing the escape room, I think it's almost more fun to be sober in escape yes. room because they're kind of complicated. Depending on the difficulty of the room, having a certain degree of lucidity is necessary to make it out. The show, the show. Hey, how do you feel about like how spiteful Beard still is toward Nate? Because you can tell that it doesn't land. Roy and Ted don't like this. Well, I think Roy's. I don't know. I'm, I, Roy seems more at least tolerant of it than Ted is. Ted is almost straight up negative. I'm trying I to took, highlight that to Beard. I took it as Roy didn't like it either because he goes, "I'd love to, but I got a, like a thing." Like, which is I like, also don't think he wants to go hang out with Beard and Jane throwing axes around either. That's fair, but it, it's just the way it was. Blocked and written, I just felt like both of them were giving Beard negative well, feedback it, on this. It's most clear with Ted, because Ted, I think, totally would have joined them anyway. Sure, it's his chance to hang out with Beard. Jane's weird, but whatever. Um, but he clearly is uncomfortable with how much Beard is still resenting uh, resenting Nate. Now, and cheering I, in his downfall. Yeah, I think there's still reasons for Nate, for Beard to be hurt with respect to Nate. There's plenty of reasons for Ted to still be hurt at Nate. But his point is that don't you think it's kind of bad karma to, you know, relish in somebody else's bad karma? Which I do agree with that general philosophical sentiment. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a very in-ted and one I think it's more people should have position on that. I don't like to, I don't like to cheer anybody's pain. I think the closest I've come recently is on this Elizabeth Holmes thing. I'm really <laughs> We in. talked about that the other time. So, so locked into Elizabeth Holmes. I'm so fascinated. Maybe we should do a different pod on that. Mm-hmm. But I, I, every time I border into like I'm, happy that she is going to be in pain later, I have to stop myself because I feel like that's just a bad road to go down. Did you watch that television show with Amanda Seyfried playing? Oh, that was a good show. I have show. been taking every bit of Elizabeth Holmes media. You I bet you could. I've yeah. a book. I've done the two podcasts. Like I'm, I'm all locked in. It, it is a fascinating story. I'm expecting we'll get more Orange is the New Black stories in that subject here in a bit. Hey, Jane, baby. Uh, so, as you, you expressed what had, they're all, they're all a little bit com- I mean, Ted's very clearly uncomfortable with the subject of Beard celebrating this. I'm waiting for that Ted-Nate conversation at some point. Episode 11. Episode 11 is where you're expecting to have it? Yep. Hey, Nate's already coming back, so it's possible. Episode 12 is when Nate takes over coaching Richmond when Ted goes home. I think that's a very plausible understanding of where things will be going. Uh, Roy, as you said, has his own thing. He's ambiguous about what that thing is. We'll find out here in a bit. All right. Part and scene, maybe. We'll see. In the hallway, Rebecca and Sam have an awkward conversation. Yep. Dude, dude, I know you're not into this ship. How'd you feel about this conversation and what they were suggesting or implying? They're just keeping the string out there. They're um, keeping all, they're keeping the various possibilities open, it appears. I think that they've kept Rebecca and Ted slightly open. I mean, they do start with her and him. We, just we, we get the army chatting. man hanging out here. She's got the army man, but she's also, she's got the army man, but she's also got the master. She's got them she's got both, both sitting on her table. This so is I a message to the audience. It's a choice that the writers are going to have to make. Does she go back with Sam? Does she go with Ted? She, throw, them all all, see. throw them all aside. There's a Dutchman out there to be found somewhere. She'll never see him again. We've uh, got to see. Uh, Rebecca expresses that, you know, she's sorry that Sam wasn't able to play for the national team. He tries to play it off in this kind of like self, self-effacing kind of way where he says, ah, you know, I should have tried harder. Obviously not the case. 
She just straight up calls him wonderful, which she just kind of smiles awkwardly at. Hint, hint, maybe. We'll see where there's going to go, particularly with matchbook, but we'll find, we'll talk about more of that here in a minute. You think they're going to end up together, right? I think the show is inclined for them to end up together. I don't think the show had the same complaints we had about their relationship. And I, we also get lines from Ted previously about, you know, Sam and Rebecca were always meant to be together with the Cheers reference. So, I don't know. I didn't ever like their relationship that much, but I think the show's more committed to it. Okay. What, if you had to make a bet at this point. I think the show's going for it. I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, as she returns to her office, though, surprise, surprise, Rupert is already there. You think the Imperial March just follows him around? He snuck in through aid of Renee, who's manning the back door, same as we saw back in, you know, Beard After Dark and all that jazz. And he notes the absence of the Hockney on the wall, which I haven't thought about the damn Hockney since season one, episode one, but yes, it was previously on that wall, before he goes into the subject of his visit. He wants to invite her to a meeting of the Akufu League, the new Super League they're talking about, an olive branch. But he also thinks that it would be important for her to be there, because it could be importantly be very important not only for the game, but also for them professionally, for where soccer may be headed. She's non-committal for now, but he accepts that. Instead, transitions to being kind of nostalgic on the subject of the first match he ever saw at Nelson Road. When they used to play by candlelight. Rebecca mocks him, of course, which was a quick, fun joke. Notably, from prior jokes of people playing at his age, he just kind of laughs this one off. This is an interestingly muted and almost friendly Rupert compared to some of, a lot of what we've seen him previously in this season. Even with Rebecca, where he's been almost hostile with her for a lot of the prior scenes previously. I think they want us to, sh- they want to show that Rebecca has truly gotten over him. And the only way that they can show that at 100% certainty to the audience is to have Rupert try to come back with her mm-hmm. and her to reject it, right? That's the only way that we can be 100% sure she's moved on is if he tries to open that door back up and she says no. So that's why they do that this episode. And this is a plot line that really worked for me. I really liked going to the background of their relationship, going to the background of Rupert as a character. There's a lot of interesting things to find out there. And also where their relationship is now and where it will no longer be going based on her own character growth, based on where Rupert is. Even though they clearly are almost have an attempt at being friends this episode, maybe even could without all the baggage they've got and everything else. That plotline landed for me well because how much that's been set up for the characters. And it's got more coming on with respect to it. Uh, I said, Rupert just kind of chuckles at her joke, doesn't seem to take offense. But on the subject of Nate, though, Rupert very, you, you highlight this, very ambiguously expresses... Some people just aren't ready when they get their shot. Ooh. Leaving it open that he in some way fired him because Nate wasn't ready to rise to this position. He sucks. He does. As much as, as much as I enjoy the kind of nuance they give his character, even almost making him sympathetic at moments, let's not forget how much he sucks. He More on that suck. here in a bit. Um, it also could just straight be a play, because we find out later there may be some things going on with respect to his internal relationships with people, too. Uh, there may have been a certain blow-up in his personal life. I think that the woman that he was previously with has left him. Miss Cakes? Yeah, I think she's gone. Miss Cakes? No, not not his assistant. His wife? His wife has left him. Very possible. That's my guess. Because he was... The last few things we've seen with him, especially over there in the West Ham facilities, is he's playing grab-ass with everybody he sees. Mm -hmm. And his wife seemed more... um, sort of uncomfortable with him, more willing to engage in Rupert jokes with Rebecca, mm-hmm. leaning toward wanting to buddy-buddy with Rebecca instead of, like, really, like, standing behind her man, right, when she was with Rupert. I think she was already leaning that way. I think that's what we're going to get. She's either left or she's let him, I think, the riot act. I think she told him, you have to fire your assistant and do somebody else. Clearly something has occurred. He's very much ambiguous. He's got a very her. different assistant now. 
Cake has gone to bread, and that, that there's some jokes there. At Roy's sister's house, though, we haven't met his sister in person before, have we? She's pretty fit. She is fit. I will cut your eyes out. She's fit. What do you want me to say? Cut your eyes out. Uh, They are celebrating Uncle's Day, which is apparently a thing. I've never had Uncle's Day celebrated for me. Aw, poor guy. (laughs) So many nieces and nephews, not one wants to celebrate me. Um, Which Phoebe seems to just be all in for, but Roy is barely suffering. Can we get, so we do a lot, we criticize the show a lot. And rightfully so, in a lot of points. You're going to do a lot more criticism this episode. I'm not done. But can we give this scene credit? Because oh, what we have Because what we have noticed in the past is that the show likes to do the precocious, all-knowing young child who's wiser than their years, etc. This they felt a better balance. They didn't bat, They didn't do that this time. She was not just a kid. She was seen. This felt like a much more authentic kid than they portrayed us in like a season and a half. She was just a kid. It, she, was a I, kid she was a kid who loved her uncle. It's like season one Phoebe now growing a little bit older. It's much more, much better read on the character. And if they're going to get Roy and Keeley back together, which they do by the end of the episode, having... Maybe. Having... Him interacting with his... Because I always felt like he's the most sympathetic when he's around his niece. I love those scenes. I'm he's really good with his sister, too. And then including Jamie in this party. It's, it's the best coalition it's around the baby Roy. Face, it's the baby face turned back to yes. Roy after that horrendous moment he had with Keely two episodes ago. I thought this scene worked all the way around, and I thought Jamie was charming as fuck. Shout out, Jamie. I, I also like just... The, we haven't gotten to see his sister before, but she fits in perfectly with respect to this, because she also loves Uncle's Day just because of how much Roy hates it. Yeah, she likes fucking with Roy. It's Great. Uh, apparently, Phoebe's favorite holidays are, if I got this right, Uncle's Day, uh, Uncle's Ro- Uncle Roy's birthday, theme there, and I don't even know how to pronounce this German word that she offers. Apparently, the German holiday where people dress up as evil spirits and roam the streets in order to scare winter away. Phoebe, as said by Roy, is an old soul and a proper dweeb. <laughs> Jamie makes a surprise appearance, having been invited by Phoebe as Roy's best friend. Uh, what do Roy and uh, Jamie have to say on the subject of him being uh, Roy's best friend? Ah, oh, we're not the best friend. No, no, no. Not only do they both deny it, Jamie says that Isaac is best friend, which, which pisses Roy off. Shit out of Roy. <laughs> Fuck off. He is. Fuck off. I think they're. I don't. I think they're. I do think they're best friends. They, I, do, they, I actually do think they're. They, I think they have transitioned from buddies into something more. Here's how I know. Here's how I would classify best friends upon a couple guys like this, right? Please. Is if Roy. Got hit by a car, shattered both legs, and needed someone to like help him with all the shit that would have to happen if you're going to be in the hospital for a month. Jamie would do that. If he called his sister and he called his family and his family wasn't available, I think Jamie would be his first call. Yeah, I think Jamie would happily do it. No, no grudge whatsoever associated with it. No, he, and he because you pick the person that you're comfortable with seeing you in a vulnerable moment, which I think Roy has has he's shown vulnerable moments. He's shown that he's willing to be vulnerable with Jamie by talking about the fact that Keeley got with Jack, and then two, he would he would pick somebody that he trusts to come through in that moment. And Jamie is fucking clutch for everybody right now. Mm-hmm. Jamie, in, in, in emphasis of the word choice you just used, if he was making a fucking killing on the subject of curse words throughout this conversation, <laughs> the show. Uh, but the focus though is on gifts. Jamie has brought one himself to Uncle's Day. And though he tries to play off as just being a little thing, something he thought of at the last minute, it is profoundly effective, well thought out, and just a very nice thing for him to do. He's bought a version of Roy's 2014 World Cup kit. Now, as a gift giver, I really appreciate that the fact that he sat down, he thought about this, and he decided, I'm going to give him something that really matters, and that's something that will affect him. And in that vein, Spencer, I've got a gift for you. Fuck off. What'd you do? 
Folks, he actually is going to get me something right now. Oh my god, you got me Ted Lasso sucks. I got you. Ted Lasso sucks. Oh, you absolute asshole. This is wonderful. Because I love I am I'm like Jamie. I I'm my my love language, my I way I show her to work is to give gifts. So there you go. There's some Ted Lasso socks for you. We'll take a picture and put this on our Facebook page too. You are great, sir. This is I'm gonna be wearing these to work when I get back. Uh uh, did you secretly change the name on these to something curse word? No, there's still Ted Lasso. <laughs> Isn't that so funny? They changed it to Kent to Cunt. It made it all the better. It made it all the better. I also like that they didn't. Ex- they, they don't. They don't fully explain the joke. It took me a minute to pull it together. You, you were just like Phoebe there, Phoebe. Yeah, I, I appreciate <laughs> they were willing to let the audience get there. What with the character Phoebe, it was made it all the better. It made Roy like it all the more that Jamie even added that little extra fun touch to it. For sure, Roy looks legitimately touched by this. But now it's time to move on to Phoebe's gift. Uh, she has made him also a custom gift, also very sweet, a tie-dye shirt in class, in school, just for Red, orange, yellow. Roy. His name colors put in there. Isn't that charming? It is utterly charming. How does Roy feel about this gift? Well, he hates tie-dye. Hates tie-dye. But he loves his niece so much that he, it's a, it's a soul, battle in his mind. Yes. And it's very clear that the affection for his niece wins wins the day. And he just says, I... Thank you. <laughs> and she doesn't seem to pick up on it at all. She's just happy her uncle thanked her for a gift. Yeah, and you know, sisters over there, she worked on this really hard, yeah. and she tried. She's been excited to give it to you. <laughs> you will enjoy this right now, otherwise you may not leave here alive. <laughs> Roy understands. He appreciates it. His sister uh, and Phoebe go off to start what apparently is a multi-act performance. With there the is an intermission. Uh, while Jamie comments on the eye candy and the fitness of his sister with Roy threatening mutilation in response. Cut your eyes out. Hey, his sister is fit. Do you what that would be kind of a cool relationship if Jamie's Jamie got with Roy's sister. That'd be a that'd be a great fit Thanksgiving I, it, well, it, or whatever they do in Britain. Hey, if Keely and Roy are meant to be uh, you know, relationship team B here. I don't think they're going Keely Jamie, so I let's let's give Jamie something fun. At Sam's restaurant. He used to spread he is surprised to see that it is nearly empty despite being fully booked. All of the reservations apparently bailed at the last minute, except one held by the current guest in residence, Edwin. With his man Francis in tow. I missed Francis. I forgot about Francis. Francis, yeah. Uh, he greets Pinky Dick. Oh, sorry. Sam. Sam. Not Pinky Dick. Uh, and introduces him to uh, Times food blogger Charles, who appears to have been spoon-fed nothing but horrible things about Sam and is here to express them. Edwin and Charles have teamed up to open a new Nigerian and apparently Chicago hot dog restaurant 20 meters away for the purpose of doing nothing other than hurt Sam's business. They even claim they had glass in their food just to get it comped, while doubling down on pettiness by revealing that Edwin also used his, the actors really, impressive skill with accents to get all the reservations canceled, fake the reservations in the first place, and also took the time to buy off the Nigerian government for $20 million to keep Sam off the national team. This guy's been doing a lot of legwork for the sake of his bruised pride, which if we don't remember, Sam, he was originally was going to create an all-African team that Sam was going to play a leading part on, maybe even be the captain, and Sam backed out on him at the last minute to instead stay with Richmond. Something that he was very petty about at the time for being pissed off about, and clearly it's still a bit of an open wound, as it were. <laughs> Can we have an Edwin Akufu conversation? Go on. How's this character work for you? Not at all. Now, I, I can't take him seriously because he's not serious. He's a comic villain. He's over-the-top villainous. He's petty villain. This is not somebody... This is a show that doesn't do villains really at all. And this is one of the few that we get other than Rupert, who flirts on all kinds of ways with respect to it. 
it doesn't land for me because I can't take him seriously at any point. Nor does the show seem to expect me to. Yeah, it's like I got two examples from this episode of what I was talking about at the jump, right? So the show attempting to be dramatic, doing a doing long term storytelling, complex storytelling, has introduced this plot line of Rebecca within the European Super League yes. and the dynamics of the Super League and how that could fundamentally change the face of soccer worldwide and the dangers of that because of all of these smaller leagues that have all of these, have all of these local uh, soccer teams it's, it's that are super, super, soccer. super important to smaller cities throughout Europe, right? Really big, complex topic. They just dump it in. It happens kind of fast. And I think that for a lot of people, because of how they've paced the show, which is that it's somewhere between the length that you would need for a story like that mm-hmm. and and, and, yeah. and like a, a short comedy, it doesn't work. On the other side of it is Edwin Akufu, which is a clearly just a hyperbolic character, not meant to be taken seriously. He's not grounded in reality. He's just a joke. But when you contrast that with all these other complicated, dramatic storylines, like the long-term storytelling, it seems out of place. So it's an example of the show doing, on the one hand, trying to do this, this like, our, what we are now is a one-hour serial show, no different than something like a, a Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad sure. or something, and all the way over into like Veep territory where you're not supposed <laughs> to take the character seriously. Both great shows, but they know what they are. And because it's doing that, I don't think either one of those things worked this episode. I'm kind of sadly there with you. I, it, it also, I don't even think it works with respect to even having a comic villain brought in there is that he's talking about how I shall never stop hurting you. We haven't even seen this guy for like a, over a season at this point. Yep. It, it, he's been gone off camera. If you call a Nigerian restaurant and you say, I would like all of your finest African cheeses, they're going to laugh in your face. Yes, probably. Okay. I mean, um, just just telling our audience. Uh, as I said, Edwin's very much holding a grudge. He says he's never going to stop hurting Sam. He leaves. Francis makes that leave epic by means of doing what apparently is Francis's only job, having the perfect just brush off with respect to slaps. <laughs> Meanwhile. Shout out Razor Ramon. Uh, meanwhile, Nate uh, is electing to sneak into his parents' flat. I'm guessing tired of just all the journalists out front sure, looking yeah, for yeah. a bit of peace of home. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, he broke out. Yeah, he broke out and broke in and got caught in the process, but they're happy to have him there. Uh, Rebecca, on the other hand, is seeking out Higgins for advice, given that all other options except maybe her mother are unavailable. I fucking love this scene. Tell, tell me why you love this because scene, Sarah. it's like... Is it the, a physical comedy? The, it, well, it... It's yeah because like what I like about a physical comedy moment and why I can't when it can work for me is if it's brief mm-hmm. it's a shock you're not expecting it <laughs> see that's the thing that didn't work for me with Jim Carrey is that he would go on and on and on with these characters like in Ace Ventura he's on the screen so much but but Higgins dropping the T is boom it's shot it's ten five to ten seconds maybe maybe even less than that and then you're out it, and that's why it works it's the difference for me between funny and silly. Silly can be fine if that's all if that's all it is. And the entire thing is dedicated to being silly. But silly moments in an otherwise show that isn't silly, they often don't land perfectly well. When he's jumping, yes. Oh my god, it's funny, uh, and yeah. it works because like I, I already find the guy funny. He's already established yeah. that when he's on screen, something funny is going to happen. So it's like a Pavlovian response for me when Haley Bottoms comes on. Screen. That was already a funny start, but I think it almost just teased me up for what for me is the funniest exchange of the entire episode here in a second of where you know clarifies that he's not in any way offended. In fact, he's proud to be here. Going down Rebecca's list of you know potential advice people, she notes that she doesn't really want to join the Akufa League because you know. 
Higgins says, was it because it's an emotionally erratic, erratic billionaire with the temperament of one of those kids in Willy Wonka that gets murdered at the chocolate factory? Question for you. Did, did you, did you have the same read as Higgins that these kids were killed? No, not at any point. I can understand very much why you do. I mean, it's, they never see him again on the show. They have moments that appear like they may be sort of died, but I never conceived it that way despite Doll's tendencies in that regard. I thought there was some mild kidnapping going on, but I did not necessarily think the kids were killed. I, for me, the most biggest laugh out moment of the episode, though, is that, you know, she says, I don't think that's what happens, Leslie, and he just completely serious, completely deadpan, just says, I hate to break it to you, Rebecca, I hate to break it to you, Rebecca, but those kids are dead. It's like, those children are dead. It's like, oh, God damn, Megan's wow. <gasps> utterly, utterly laugh out loud moment for me. Rebecca clarifies, though, that what she's worried about is that she effectively thinks that she's just been invited by Rupert for the sake of window dressing. That they want a woman involved so it markets better in terms of making this, you know, a new international thing. Higgins, is, so you so often does with other characters, just cuts through that, though. Is that, does it really matter why Rupert's inviting you? You're getting a seat at the table. Go see what it's about. So I think that that's a question that women have to deal with, right? Is And, and minorities have to deal with as well. Is If you're invited because you check a box, mm-hmm. right? How do you react to that? And like, I'm a white guy, so like, I don't have to deal with that. And nope. like, I don't, I don't know that dynamic and like how people would handle it, but I think that they are at least showing you two paths in the show, which is Rebecca's, where Rebecca's head was kind of when she walked in, which was, I'm being invited because I'm a woman. That's kind of bullshit. I don't want any part of this. Like, this is, this is kind of icky. To Higgins' point, which is not a bad one, I mm-hmm. don't think, it's something to consider, which is who cares why you were invited? If you get in the room, you have a chance to affect change and do good. And that's kind of where she lands. I think it's also particularly important that, particularly for like the pre-planning for what this is going to be, just always be in the room. Find out what it's going to be that gives you the insider knowledge whether you ultimately want to take part or not. It doesn't cost you anything to be here for this. Unless it does cost you. Right? Unless, unless it, it does. Unless there's reputational harm. Unless it, there's, yeah. In real life, there is. But we'll talk about that with the European Super League later. <laughs> Woo! Uh, she really seems to appreciate this advice. And... And gets going. With the caution from Higgins, though, that if any of the other people start disappearing one by one due to a series of unfortunate accidents ah. seemingly caused by their own hubris, you get the hell out of there. You do. You get the fuck out. Sound advice, really. It seems like Higgins was really affected by the Gene Wilder 1970s, you know, 1970, I think it was at this point, Willy Wonka film. He's a jazz musician. True, Yes. Fucking Venn diagrams, dude. Like it, 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 it there's profound overlap. You, you find the guy who likes to perform in jazz, jazz, smoky jazz clubs late at night in mm-hmm. Amsterdam. That guy has seen that. <laughs> film. He's watched that scene of the boat ride there a few times for sure. At May's pub, Keely is there, avoiding the hell out of Rebecca's text messages for a while uh, and getting that kind of "I had a sad moment. I'm going to get drunk, sloppy drunk." She never gets too sloppy, but it's sad drunk for sure. It's sad drunk. I don't, I'll agree. She's more the tipsy rather than sloppy, but it's very much I'm depressed, I'm going to go drink kind of category. Yeah. Uh, she notes her own Midas shits concerning the luck that she's been having all season with respect to other people around her. May tries to reassure that shit helps things grow. Trust the up. Midas touch. Is that an American advertising campaign? Is Trust the Midas touch. Is yeah. that something that would actually land in Great Britain? I don't know, actually. I don't know if Midas is an international company or not. I think it might be like an American touch they've thrown into the story. Well, Midas as well was doing the ancient Greek figure that everything he touched turned to gold. There's a lot of different connotations for it. Yeah, I'd be shocked if they, were, they weren't going for the more modern like advertising campaign. But we'll see. Who knows? Uh, Kiwi tries to start a conversation with Maybe. Maybe doesn't say what her full name is. 
uh, and finds out that May's been running the place for over 40 years, and that being a boss during that time has had its moments, positive and negative. But what she tries to reassure Keeley with is that ultimately, you know, the reason you be your own boss is so you can follow your gut rather than pretending to be excited for following someone else's. And that how would you feel if someone takes it away from you? This is an ambiguous line that I'm curious for your interpretation of. May simply says, once you make it to the top of the mountain, what's left for you but the lightning? Keeley seems equally confused as I am necessarily by this line, which asks you whether that's a good or bad thing, to which May just says, depends whether you're ready for it or not. But the time being, get some food. She can't have another skinny girl pass out in her pub. It affects the operator. So I ask you, sir, does this line have a clear meaning for May, or is it meant to be a kind of line that just opens it up to your own interpretation? Well, I can, I'll, I'll, I'll do what you don't do, and I'll talk about my personal life. Um, Foreign territory, go on. Like, I set a career goal Yes. Um, when I first got hired when I was 23 years old. I've achieved that career goal. Mm-hmm. I have made that. And I've kind of come to the conclusion, like, that's probably it. You're, it you're probably, content. It probably won't get any better. I will probably not, at some point, maybe not be with that company or not be in that position. Like... I feel like there's no more climbing to do for, for me. There, of course, there is. I don't run this company, but for me, there's no more climbing. My own personal mountain I'm at the top of, and I feel like that. Like there's a sort of when you get there, there's this sort of peace with knowing. Oh, okay. Well, if something bad happens, I made it to the top of this mountain for my personal mountain for me. I'm mm-hmm. the same. And I think May's kind of the same way. It's like, hey, look, you know, I I did what I wanted to do, which was run this pub successfully for a lot of years. And so, if something happens, if the lightning comes along. I'm ready for it. I think that's kind of what she's conveying. Keely, what what makes it interesting uh, advice is that Keely is in no way in that headspace. Never she's in chance. a completely different place where mm-hmm. she doesn't feel like she's at the top of her mountain. I think she felt like she was still climbing when somebody knocked her off. I, yeah, I don't think she had even. I don't think she was even yet used to the concept of running a company yet before it was taken away from her. Exactly. So I, you know, I think that May was talking about her own personal life, and I think that. Why it's helpful for Keely is that she can she can it's a contrast. She can go, oh, I'm not there. I'm not done. I need to keep climbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, we get several scenes. You want to talk about your personal life? Or no, no. Happy for the opportunity, but oh, I'll, I'll oh, pass okay. off. Oh, okay, interesting. Appreciate you filling that gap for us. Ah, all right, gotcha. Uh, Nate. Meanwhile, we get several <laughs> scenes of this as being mothered throughout the episode. We get, we get kind of several moments of where his mom is there to support him. Same way moms often are when you're back at home. We also, your mom would do this a million percent. Every single time. Fuck yes. Yeah, she would absolutely crush this role. There's no role to put on. It's just how she operates. That's how she is. Yeah, yeah. it's not a, not a different hat. Notably, the dad seems to look halfway concerned. We'll see more about that later. At Richmond, though, the theme song for Peaky Blinders, Red Right Hand, is blaring. I'm jamming to it. Just surprised that we've gotten a, a different theme song inserted into the show. Well, we've got that, and then we have Ted doing the Peaky Blinders jokes and references throughout the show. Someone's it's, a fan. Ted, Ted watches the show. Yes. Uh, it's blaring gloriously as Roy walks in, de- decked in tie-dye, uh, to the <gasps> shock of Ted, Beard, and Trent. <gasps> They don't really know how to process this. Roy both doesn't bother to explain. It seems like the three characters just kind of ultimately go, I don't know what to do with this, so let's just kind of shrug and move on. Players, though, that weren't invited to the international games are watching their various teammates play throughout the world. Starting with Danny, I would fairly say kick the shit out of Van Damme on the pitch and express nothing. You just kick the ball res- in his face, right? You kick the ball straight into his face, seemingly intentionally at close range, expressing nothing resembling remorse for doing so. Breaking Van Damme's nose. Trying to take the goalie out. Yes. Because, I, I mean, that... 
That's a strategy. It's not a stupid strategy, right? Because you it's get, a you dick get, move. It sure is. But you can then you get your second. Then you get the second goalie who maybe not not as good, and your chances of scoring. Are Again, good. never seen Danny play like this with any other team in any other given moment. No reason to think that's and how I'm he not, played and in I'm Mexico. I'm not sure you get, would get a red card from simply kicking the ball. I mean, like it, you can it pass it as a, as a play in the moment. Yeah, I mean, like I, I yeah, I mean, I think you can do that. I mean, like the comparison in basketball. Would be like if you're falling out of bounds with the ball, you literally like can take the ball it in. and you can throw it at the person's face as you're falling out of bounds, and nobody would ever call that. Bouncing it off the other player when you're falling out is a key strategy. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the, the answer to that to Van Dam is get your head out of the way. Like, you know, obviously, as a goalie, <laughs> he's, he's the goalie. Him. His job is to get his head in the way. Yeah, as, get, get your hands up. As Danny compliments later, put your top, hands up. top ten play blocking the ball with his face. Put your hands up. Uh, Rebecca, though, is reading articles about the Super League and getting messages from Rupert and taking the two green objects that happen to be in her immediate possession. A matchbook and an army man, and sets them both on the it's desk in front past, of her. Diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less trouble. Look at that, yes. Uh, as she looks down at the green army man, Ted's gift, she texts Rupert back in his very Emperor Palpatine office to say that she'll be there for the Akufa meeting. Uh, Roy, meanwhile, tired of compliments from his shirt, including by certain very high bus drivers, Tries to toss it out the window of his car before rapidly realizing his error and getting the hell back and picking it back up. I was so mad when he did that. Then he picked me back up. I didn't think for a second that he was actually going to leave it. What the fuck are you doing, man? Uh, Keely walks tipsy down the streets of around the Richmond area, still ignoring Rebecca's text before being distracted by something in a store window. Did you predict what it was going to be? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't didn't think of it. I wasn't clear what it was. Yeah, I kind of saw it coming. In Rebecca's house, uh, Rebecca's house, though, she is getting dressed for the event, clearly nervous and trying to build herself up. And in one of those several very surprising artistic moments of the episode, the show doesn't often do these scenes without dialogue and just it's kind of having a moment for the characters. Uh, we get a callback to, I think it was, it was season two, of where she pretends to be a monster in the mirror so as to scare away the fears in herself. She sees even a little version of herself in the mirror doing the same. And... It allows her to process through the fear that she has about going to see these people right now in this particular role. I really liked the scene. I thought it was effective callback and a nice moment for the character. I feel like season three, Rebecca is the main character because we see Ted's barely in it, and mm-hmm. we're seeing we're seeing Rebecca in a lot of different plot situations where she has mm-hmm. to go do something to advance the plot. And but you also see behind the curtain with her. Example: Last episode was she gave Red Roy the riot act. We saw the moment after Roy left where she was like exhaling, and, no. whew, like yeah. that was really tough for me. This season, this episode, you're seeing her build up how difficult it is for her to walk in that room full of really rich right guys and sit down and try to you know be a part of and somewhere she feels very separate from. I love that we're getting behind the curtain from this character, but to me, she's the main character of the show. Hundred percent right? would have uh, love it now. Would have liked even more of it throughout the season. Rebecca's always been one of my favorite characters in the show. Yeah, she's very is. much the main character for a variety of reasons. <laughs> Uh, so not, seeing her function as an owner of the team, function in that role, and also still have the human element attached to it, I'm straight here for it. Give me more of Rebecca, not just about relationship shit, just more of her actually living her life. 100%. 100% agree. Uh, Roy, though, is dropping Phoebe off at school. I missed how much I like the scenes of Roy and Phoebe just together, but you're going to see the school. I don't... My ships... This show and my ships are two ships sailing in the night. I feel like when I make a call on Succession... We're doing another podcast right now yeah. on HBO Succession called Line of Succession. If you want to hear our review of that, <laughs> go over to Line of Succession. When I make a call on that show, I tend to be right. When I make a call on this show... I tend to be wrong. I, can, I, I feel like the writer's room has a fundamentally different idea than I do about what makes for a successful relationship. 
Because I believe that this like sort of friendly rapport and being buddies. I love the two of them. I feel like him, that's the him be- and Mrs. Bowen. I feel like that's the best foundation for a relationship. When you when you go hyper romantic right away, I feel like that never works. It's the people who are friends they, first. They build it up, and that's why. Like I really was rooting for Keely and Jamie because they've developed this base friendship. That's why I root for Rebecca and Ted. That's why I'm rooting for Roy and the teacher because of all these friendships, and they're not going that way with any of them. I, I really none of them. I really like Roy and Mrs. Bowen. I'm with you. The show does not Shit. like friendship based relationships at all. I'm failing. All the way across on all these relationships. Well, it's nice to see Leanne again. She's doing well. It was my favorite moments back in season yes. one. We got to see her character. It's nice to have her She's back. She's really good. Even if it's, this is her only scene that she has. They share some great banter on the subject of Roy's strange change in wardrobe and also general chip temperament shift. Kaylee made it for me. <laughs> but she acknowledges. And she also... Or Sophie. Oh, yeah. Uh, Phoebe. Phoebe. Yes, that one. A lot of kids on the show. Uh, and also Keely. Uh, she notes, though, that he seems lighter and less stuck than before. Roy responds that, well, you were flirting with me last time I saw you, right? To which she says, I teach kids. I don't mind cleaning up a mess. Woo! She hits herself Woo! later with this line saying, you know, smooth move fuck, which I actually thought it was kind of cute. And Roy seemed like he enjoyed it, too. I There has not been a thing that has come out of this teacher's mouth that I don't approve of. Yes. She she has charmed me, like me. I think she charmed Roy too. Honestly. If I was if I was chasing a, a male romantically in this show, I'd be mm-hmm. lining up for this version of Jamie. If I was chasing a female in this show, it'd be Miss Bowen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Miss Bowen comments. I just hope that the mess didn't cause too much damage, which seems to have a profound epiphany moment on Roy, of where he immediately acknowledges that, kind of gets in his own head, says "fudge," what, and then charges off. Doesn't want, to, doesn't want to have to pay up. He's, he's going. She's broke. not there. He's going but, broke. Actually, sure. Miss Bowen would rat him out completely, wouldn't she? Absolutely. And plus, he's trying to train himself. I mean, good lord, Phoebe, Phoebe is a pound a moment. She is. She's making money. She's paying for her college right now. Uh, Miss Bowen has said regrets that she feels like she messed up the kind of moment that they were sharing there. I don't think you at all I did. I don't think you did, but I just, I, I just find it charming when people. I mean, this is reality. This yes. is how people. See. She likes Roy. She's like, romantically interested in Roy. And that is what we do, right? When I, I, we have these, like, we, we were romantically interested in somebody, and you're having a very, sort of quick, like, rep, repertoire mm-hmm. like, with them, it, it vibes with well. them, and you're vibing, and then they leave, and then you go, ooh, I shouldn't have said that. I should have said this. I should have did yeah. Everyone does the scorecard. Well, I think Roy actually kind of likes her. He's just in, focused on other people. Uh, at the former headquarters of KGPR, and now a very much former marketing company, Keely runs into Barbara in all of her juicy attire because she likes clothes that tell the truth. How fun is it to learn more about Barbara as we go? Keely is here, though, to give her a gift, a Richmond snow globe. Yeah, this is what I kind of saw coming. Which is, is adorable, even though Keely apparently massively overpaid for the thing. Spent, like, you know, more than 75 or $80 for it. Uh, but she knows that... smokes for a snow globe? I, I, I've seen people buy like those, you know, designer Christmas slow globes for like hundreds of dollars. There's a range here attached Jeez, to this. Pizza. This does not seem like it's an eight, it's a 60 pound snow globe. Mm-hmm. But, uh, she notes that. you doing the conversion in your head? I'm here for it. Uh, noting though that she wishes that she could have spent more time with Barbara because Barbara's fun. Barbara seems very touched, not only by the gift, but by these words from Keeley. Just like mm-hmm. the princely sum she now has to pay to complete the ritual of getting the snow globe, which she has to pay for for it to work. Has to. Uh, Becca, though, arrives at the meeting place for the proposed league, hesitating to join all of the old white men that are there to directly talk to her chest for the entire meeting, before <laughs> Rupert walks in and greets her. He's polite, as said, notably armed with a new assistant, Miss Bread, instead of Miss Cakes. 
who I don't mean any slight intended to the actress of the character, she seems purposely meant to be a bit more plain than Miss Cakes was or, you know, Rupert's prior trends with women that he keep around. They're try- they as a plot device, yes. they want this actress to look less attractive than the last it's actress. Part of the point. That's the plot. That's the point of the plot. Wait, and also we see that Rupert's not as comfortable with her as he's been previously with other assistants and other women around. Uh, that's an interesting word, comfortable, but yes, I know what you mean. Work with me yourself. Your fecalist emailed your results. How rich do you have to be to have a doctor just for your poop? Richer than I am, sir. I will I, say. I would say. Of course, I don't have doctors at all. As you often try to, you know, convince me to turn around. And That's right. And since his mom is listening, shut he up. He needs to go to the doctor. She does not need to hear from you. That, that he needs again. to go to the doctor. You don't need to remind her every year. Time uh, for a physical. On the subject of his last assistant, uh, assistant Rebecca notes, you know, what happened to the last one? Corporate the, pixie dream girl. As she was. Rupert can only very ambiguously offer, oh, skewed, dramatic. It's skewed dramatic, meaning my wife found out about it. That's my interpretation, yes. Making him at a minimum get no assistant associated with. Uh, Rupert introduces Rebecca to the room. Uh, Though at a minimum, she seems to at least know one person there. I think it was Robert, another another team owner. Mm -hmm. uh, Who comments, when Rupert told me you were joining us today, I was truly excited. Oh, and then when you walked in in that outfit, I remember why. I say as a person who very much appreciates Rebecca and all of her forms and attire, dude, dial it down a bit for a second. Yeah, set it down, dude. It's fucking intense. Uh, Edwin enters and takes pains... It's a complicated compliment. He takes pains to specifically greet Rebecca, saying that he's very glad that she's there, that it's also nice to not be the only minority in the room. Hmm? Highlighting what she was kind of afraid of in terms of her serving that particular, perhaps, cover might it be for the Oriental organization. Mm-hmm. Because I don't, I don't picture anything Edwin says as being, you know, legitimate what he actually feels or a nice sentiment. No, not at all. He encouraged them to lunch before they do business, and they sit down so to Chicago enjoy... Chicago-style hot dogs is enjoyed by the likes of Scotty Pippen, Obama, and Ferris Bueller. How do you feel about Chicago-style hot dogs, by the way? Do, do you have a favorite will, category will, of hot dogs? I will talk about that in the Sports Center Talk, Ken. I will say that the Chicago-style hot dog is good. It is good. I respect it. I like not, it. Not my top three, though. It's probably my number two or three. I would say my number one is the Carolina style Carolina dog. Carolina dog is so damn the, good. It, and the Carolina dog has traditionally chili, slaw, and mustard. It's so good. It's such like, a great combination. I feel like that's a really solid combination. Mm. Um, the thing I don't like in a hot dog is when you start doing the nacho cheese and the chili and nah. the jalapenos and treating it like they're tortilla chips. Like, I, I'm more I'm more of a condiment guy mm-hmm. on the hot dog than I am a bunch of like uh, nacho fixings. You don't need much, honestly. As much as I love all the fixings on the Carolina dog, it's my other favorite. It's just a good quality meat and a, and a good presentation is also just lovely. I do, but the pickle slice in the Chicago style hot dog is very interesting, and I will talk about the history of the Chicago style okay. hot dog later. Uh, they sit down to enjoy Chicago style hot dogs and uh, Ghanaian bites. Apparently, yeah. it does look like a lovely spread that he's put together. However strange. It's a strange combination. He's a strange dude, it tracks. Nate, meanwhile, is up and roaming his old home, looking through old scrapbooks of when he was a kid, while Light by Michael Kiwanuka, I believe it is, plays. Great song. Uh, It is. There's a lot of great music for the back half of this episode, which is interesting, because I think some of these scenes carry themselves well, but you've commented that sometimes they use music to fill the gap on otherwise lesser material. Don't think it fits as well here. And it's usually pop culture music that you can identify that, that is that is known in our public canon. None of this was that, that. That's the stuff they lean on in weak moments. I feel like that it, wasn't this. And it's true. It wasn't. It wasn't this. I think some of these scenes could be stronger. They'd set up more, but it's generally pretty strong scenes. 
Notably, he goes up in his attic and pulls out his old violin, which, mm. look behind the lens, that's actually the actor's old violin, too, that he pulled out of his parents' attic for the scene. Were you scene. in a band when you were in high school? I played in band. What, what, what trumpet. Instrument? You played trumpet? Yeah. All right, did you play in your high school jazz band? I played pep band for, like, sporting events, but I did not play jazz band. Okay, did you ever play any in college? No, stopped playing about so junior year. Okay, so you've just set it down. I have not picked it up back up since. I've actually tried recently, and it's, fa- it's fascinating how quick you can lose it. Yeah, you need to do this. You need to do the Nate thing. You need to go back, live in your childhood for a little while, and, and play the trumpet. This is a big thing. I, my parents saved it. They never got rid of it. They keep on asking me every now and then whether I want to try it again. I played the electric bass in high school. I played for like a, I can picture that with you. I played rock bands. I played, played rock bands. I played the upright bass like our man Higgy Bottoms. I played in jazz trios. I played in our high school jazz band. I played in the high school marching band, which was cool because they kind of set me mm-hmm. off to the side on a stage. Um, I kind of quit playing in college, and every once in a while when I go home, I, I'll pick it up and play it. And it the memories do flood back. It's, it's a cool experience. I can I, I can identify with what Nate's doing here. In terms of other things that you could have predicted, Roy's at a stationery shop seemingly buying a card. Did you picture where this was going? Yeah, I thought he was going to go see Keeley. I did yeah. not know that this would turn romantic. I was kind of surprised how quickly it does, but we'll get there. Yeah, I thought it would be more of a, a true, hey, I'm sorry, and we'll, let's be platonic. Uh, uh, you've, you've often referenced the film uh, Love Actually before as a film you enjoy. I kind of I wanted that kind of expression of you know feelings and affection, and then it not go any farther there. Worst moment of Love Actually. I know, but I just want, that's what I'm going to reference Worst right moment of Love Actually, we have to jump into this, is when he goes at the he door, has, here and he's at the late. door, and he, she goes, oh, it's carol singers, and he's doing the thing, right? Cue cards. And, and he says, I'll I'll just be a guy who loves you, and that's it. And he walks away. And she follows to kiss The following to kiss she, is the problem. If she had not followed to kiss him, it would have been the greatest moment in romantic comedies in cinema history. The fact she followed him and kissed him completely dogged the whole scene and undercut everything that just happened. And then, so what stays on Mount Rushmore, what stays the number one, the goat, the Michael Jordan, as it were, is when Harry met Sally. Good reference. I thought about that in a while. Love Actually is number two because they fucked that scene up. I will say. Uh, I think, if, <laughs> ignoring the kiss part, of the, I, I almost prefer whether they hadn't gone romantic with the two characters. I think in some ways they've kind of grown in a way that doesn't necessarily have to have them bring back together, but they don't seem to be going in that direction. Yeah. We're not simpatico with relationships, me and the writing group of this show. Clearly. Uh, after lunch, though, Edwin takes pains to kick the one Russian present out of the room for appearance's sake, and we get a weird scene of him struggling with the door. Was this just kind of for the purpose of slapstick comedy, with having him kick out the Russian and have him in-out kind of door thing? It's an, They are obviously drawing a parallels of the European Super League, which was a scary, traumatic like almost horror movie thing that was going on in a couple of years ago in Europe. 2020. It's terrifying local towns, terrifying local sports fans, terrifying the maze of the world, the local sports pubs. And so it's a big deal what they're talking about. It's a, it's an important topic. It's still then, going on. And then they want to slip back into the slapstick 30 minute comedy yeah. sitcom thing. And it just doesn't work. The I, jumping back. I course. think they're being way too light about the European Super League. It's like, you know, the other side, it's a big deal in universe. It's huge. But this led governments to pass laws. This led million dollar fines. It terrified it's, people who, who like, one of the great joys of their life is going to their local but their local they, sports they club. cease to exist if this yeah, gets its way. Yeah. It's, instead, we get jokes about you know people struggling with doors, and we get but one it, person ending it solo. But here's why the show can't. Here's why the show doesn't get the excuse of well, they're just not taking it seriously because they are taking it seriously. Because Rebecca gives this speech she that does. they 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 tip their hand to tell you that they understand how important this was, yeah. but yet then they have the guy who can't do push pull on the fucking door. It's like. 
Inconsistent. It just doesn't work. It, yep, there you go. Inconsistent. We get Edwin do his marketing pitch that, you know, it's going to be controversial. People are going to be pissed. They're going to do satire about us in news and whatever else. But it's going to be transformative of the game the way technology has in human history. The car to the automobile to the smartphone to the squatty potty. It's going to be profoundly transformative. It's going to make us a fortune. Obviously, all of you need to do this. It's an effective pitch to the room, other than Rebecca, who's mostly focused the on her phone. The squatty potty is just the toilet, right? Squatty potty is that little kind of thing you put in the toilet that you put your feet up on, so you you know it, cha- it changes your posture when you're pooping. Oh, I never seen one of these. I, I have one at home. I've got mixed feelings about it. Interesting. My brother-in-law bought it for me. Huh? What a gift. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, here's hey hey brother. Here's how you poop better. That was pretty much the message. Yeah, it's like this changed this like changed my life. Have a squatty oh, potty. You get a colonic next Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Di- diuretics and a monthly membership fee. <laughs> it really cares about your digestive system. You know, it's nice that somebody does, really. <laughs> but change is inevitable, and we need to be a part of this, and it's going to make us a fortune. His aide passes out projections, but Rebecca's distracted because she finally hears back that Keeley's okay. Good. Nate offering, you know, we've talked before about actors showing off their talent, and so shows like Ted Lasso like to do this. Um, what's, what's his first name? Um, Mohammed's his last name. Blacking out his first one. Uh, yeah, I'll go. Well, look it up. But shows up these Nick, actual Nick Mohammed. Nick Mohammed. It shows up these actual impressive violin skills, which you can even see when he's just tuning the damn thing. Yeah, he actually does play. He plays Spiegel and Spiegel by an Estonian composer Arvo Part. I believe it's Part with the umlaut things. So I don't pronounce that, but whatever. Yeah, in my in my playlist right next to Drake. Really, <laughs> good call. You're mm-hmm. balanced, interestingly balanced man. You are. Rebecca, though, while the music is playing throughout the rest of the episode, the significant rest of the part of the episode, takes the opportunity to browbeat the shit out of the room and speak to the audience quite a bit on the subject of whether a European Super League would be a good idea. Do you, do you, have, you have the speech? I don't, we don't have to do all yeah, of Yeah, I mean, I got it. She's, she's hit, saying... Hit the high points. Yeah, she says, how you know, why would you ever consider taking something away from people that means so much to them? It has the ability to make heroes and villains out of ordinary men. People love this game. My father loved this game. You all used to love this game, I'm sure of it. I knew this little boy. This is Rupert, working class from Richmond. He loved football so much he used to sneak into the matches before his family could afford tickets. One afternoon he finally got caught. That little boy stood up, smiled, kicked, security guard to bucks, ran away. Guess what? He bought the club 25 years later. It's Gave, a lovely speech. Gave the guy a raise, too. It's a lovely speech. She, she, she talks about how... She has this wonderful line that pulls it all together where she says, you know, we own these clubs, but we don't, like, what, what did she say? We own these clubs, but we don't control them? Or Yeah, we're, we're basically owning them on behalf of the fans. The, the fans are the true ones that, you know, run, actually own these teams. Yeah, basically, the, yeah. The, the, yeah we, the, just because we own these teams doesn't mean they belong to us. There it is. They, basically, they, they like, yes, they on paper own them, but they're, they're just stewards of it for yes. the next generation. Because... Sport, like you know, if you're not a if you're not an ingrained sports fan, you don't really, I think, understand how important this speech is. But like, mm-hmm. I have a team that I live and die with, and I have since I can remember. I don't ever remember. I don't ever have a memory not knowing that I was a fan of this team. Mm-hmm. I went to, and then I ended up going to that college, and like I root for UNC UNC Chapel Hill basketball, ride or die. Like in a way that like. When things happen with the program, if a coach changes or if they, you know, change stadiums or if, you know, they have a, a bad season, whatever, like this stuff, like, is, is extremely important to my, like, strange as it might sound, emotional health. Like, I get so wrapped up in it. And, like, I feel like that's what they're trying to convey in the show is that they understand how important football is mm-hmm. in Europe and especially at the local level. 
And like that's why when they're doing these slapstick jokes, I can't give them a pass because I'm like, you guys understand how important the subject matter is. You wrote it here yeah. in the speech. It, it you almost, get it. It almost comes across that there's two different writers in the writing room trying to balance it out, and it doesn't perfectly square, or at least doesn't form a cohesive whole. Yeah, it's. I mean, when you when you truly love a team mm-hmm. and you follow it as close, and you feel part ownership of it, mm-hmm. like. The, the concept of, of stripping the team away from you, who gives a fuck who owns it? Nightmarish. It, yeah, it just doesn't compute. It doesn't at all surprise you I don't have this. No, no, no. Uh, but but I would say for you, it's, it's, there's probably there probably is something. It might be like a video game series, a book series. There might be. There's probably something that you look at and you think... You're you're a fan at a level that you feel some level of ownership over it. it it's it really only lo- it, it's the weirdest thing for me. I don't have loyalty. Even I have prof- a profound affection, but not loyalty to products, teams, media, themes, things along those lines. I have a lot of loyalty to people, but I, I don't have that kind of fan response to things. I I think in some ways it's just, I'm so easily disappointed that it makes it makes it hard to st- hard to stay passionate. Well, that probably checks out because you do you do take the first moment to check the fuck out of things. Like you're doing in this show right now. I'm here. I'm still recording. But you do in this show, well, like right now, where you just go, well, okay, well, I'm done with it. Let's focus on this speech, for example. What is what is that thing we were going to put on a t-shirt? I was disappointed for a second. Now I'm done. You said you're going to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, that, that's your quote. That's me. I, I liked the speech. This is the speech. This is in the category of something where I like it enough. I wish it had just been better set up because I think they've tapped into a plot line here. That they should have made the season dramatic plotline for Rebecca. It's like this is really important for the sport. It's still an ongoing issue. And make Rupert the guy pushing it, not this caricature of yes. Kufu. Like, he needs to be removed from the situation. Right. Rupert should be the one pushing this. Keep the. I mean, it's a more interesting use of the character. Keep the nuance. Keep the complicated relationship with him. Keep the background stuff. That's all lovely to find out more about Rupert associated with this. Even the own conflict in his mind between the different stages of his own life. But make this the center focus, because it's really important. It's an effective scene. It's just coming in a one-off episode rather than something that I feel like they could have got a lot more mileage on if they made it part of an arc. If you're going to do a dramatic hour-long episodes, this has things you can make mileage out of. I went. I watched this episode the first time when I was at the gym. I was running on a treadmill. No big deal. I go to the gym. Not a big deal. 45 miles the other day. And I, I was watching it as I was running, so I wasn't paying super close attention because I was like dying on a treadmill. And I was doing a lot of fill in the blanks as I go, and most of the time I'm right. Mm-hmm. I thought this whole plot line would be Rupert is pushing the European Super League. And, and never, Edwin, Edwin's just the cover. And, well, no, I just didn't even compute that Edwin was a part of it until we got in this boardroom, mm-hmm. and that's when I was like, "Oh, he's going to be the head of it." So this character I don't take seriously. Like yeah. this really undercuts the whole plot. Well. In some ways, shown how just neatly everything wraps up with respect to this. Edwin acknowledges your speech, moves the room to ignore her, but we get a smash cut to instead him walking out, refixing his tie to see that he's thrown a one-man food fight, just spattering shit around the room. It's petty for sure. Because apparently Rebecca got the room on her side with respect to this. Yeah, yeah, she got all the votes. Most of the room seems utterly shocked, but Rebecca and Rupert share a hearty laugh on the subject of it. Having a kind of nice moment between the two characters. And it shows that... Like I'm a I'm a burn it all down guy. Yes. Like if I if 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 we have a relationship, you're done. You're done. You're done. And it broke. I burn it all down. I won't speak to you again. But it does show that like even though these two have gone through what they've gone through, they still like share some things. Like they share a sense of humor, and, yeah. and it's a similar type of sense of humor where they're connecting here in this moment. Rupert mistakes that for let me try to kiss her later, but like 
Those things can still exist even after the relationship is over. If Rupert had not tried to kiss her this episode, I think Rebecca actually would have thought for a bit we can actually kind of be friends. He's not capable of it. He, he only sees women as sexual objects. He, and he, he seems like he really struggles with that in that moment. We'll, we'll get there right, right here in he a second. He sucks! We'll get there in a second. Nate, uh, in terms of characters that apparently don't suck, despite our profound assumptions previously about them, Nate's dad interrupts Nate's play, which I love the physical acting of Nate, of Nate saying, Jesus fucking Christ, when his dad walks in. Two of them share a talk. How did you feel about this scene? Because this is a scene that... There's several scenes that I felt like they could have been better set up. This one just straight up didn't land with me because we've never had this insight into Nate's dad as a character before that he actually had this these feelings about Nate or this level of complicated warring emotions on the subject of his son. It almost feels like it's a different father-son relationship I feel like they're putting on this to wrap it up. That landed perfectly with me. I mean, I, I, I think that the idea that Nate's dad is an immigrant... Sure. And he, see, he, 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 in being a first generation immigrant, he had that struggle of assimilation and that struggle of the journey to get to where he was going. Mm-hmm. And now he sees what Nate has, and there's a level of resentment. resentment. That, that, Similar to succession in his kids? There's a level of resentment, and then there's a level of expectation that he places on him because of the benefits it, that he's had. It's all he expresses. This and is true. I get that you don't like it, but for me, it worked because that, that all makes sense. And because I have a dad who was really hard on me mm-hmm. like for a long time, and I never got the sense that he was doing all of this just because he cared about me. But years and years later, we had a similar conversation to this where he was like, yeah, yeah, I was tough on you because I, I because his words to me were, uh, I, I, would, I wanted you to get to a point where you were like, Self-sufficient, you made good money, you were happy, you had a good life, and then I would feel like I had, I've succeeded in life. And I, I was trying to build that up in you. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of what Nate's dad is saying is like, yes, I was hard on you, but I was doing it because I was trying to build in you a good life. And that is why him saying all I ever wanted is for you to be happy works for me because that I had a dad that was similar to this. So, yeah, I think it, it lands for me on a personal level because I had a, a kind of similar story growing up. But I also think it plays into this first generation, second generation immigrant story that has some backbone to it. So, yes, the reveal works for me. I can, I can fully see how it would resonate with a lot of people in that regard. For me, though, the only thing we've ever gotten out of this character previously is him being a kind of abrupt jackass with Nate. Being cold, being yeah. not anything resembling affectionate. So it feels like a dime turn. Unless you can kind of build in that kind of cultural or personal background understanding for that kind of relationship in show, I didn't feel like we got anything before this moment that he had this kind of le- these these feelings with respect to his son. I don't think they set it up. Other than if you just like the card carrying assumptions associated with these two characters, now their relationship could work. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I think that the it works for me because like the, when he was being hard on Nate. Mm-hmm. That is that is still someone who is paying attention. The the dad who doesn't give a fuck. The, the indifference is the problem. The dad who doesn't give a fuck is the one who who never pays any attention to you. Who is not at the dinner table. Who isn't paying? Like doesn't have advice for you. Nate's dad has never been that. He's always there. He's always in the room. And so connecting that to, I was hard on you, but that that was sort of my love language here and trying to like build you up and create a life for you. It, the whole thing worked. I, I didn't need more build-up for well, this. It has a, on a dime turn with respect to how Nate seemingly understands and responds to his father. So with his father expressing, I don't really care what you do. Successful, unsuccessful, I just want you to be happy. 
It has, again, a further profound effect on Nate and his character growth over the course of the season because it unlocks a lot of the main source of his baggage. We saw his relationship with his dad, the flashback to his dad being one of the key stressors of the character that he has when he's going through a panic attack. So to have this kind of different understanding about how his father feels about him unlocks a lot of potential avenues for Nate to actually fix some of his relationships with other people, maybe. So it's important. I just... I, I fully get what you're saying. I fully get for the character. I just wish that in show they kind of given us some hints, some more hints of it previously. Maybe just even in the interactions with the dad and the, uh, dad and the mom on the subject of Nate when he's not there. Yeah, it could have worked, but it, the whole thing works for me. Uh, in the aftermath, though, of the messy first and seemingly last day of the Akufa League, Robert moves to leave, commenting that you know him and Rupert are going to enjoy lunch later. Tells Rebecca that she still looks lovely, even covered. This this compliment landed better than the last one did. I think. I would say. Um, and then Rebecca and Rupert share a little bit of a moment commenting on when, you know, well, uh, Robert says, you know, the last time I saw the two of you alone in a room together, it was right after your wedding. You really wanted me to leave them. Implying something that they both kind of laugh about, but there is a certain degree of tension. There's a, this is a moment their relationship can go in different directions right here in terms of what they're feeling and where they're back at in terms of comfort with each other. Okay. It, Rupert comments on the last time they snuck into a Richmond game together, when he was the owner, of course. Uh, and it looks like they're sharing a certain moment of sorts, which they kind of are, before Rupert misinterprets or pushes or whatever you want to say with respect to it. Or, as you noted, he doesn't know how to interact with women other than this. Yeah, that's all. He he sees women as, like, sexual only sexual objects. Mm-hmm. So, like, if anything starts going I'm, well with I'm comfortable woman, enjoying their company, he's gonna make a move. It. He's going to try to fuck it. Exactly. Uh, also, their own history associated with that, too. From the two of them comfort together, he's immediately defaulting back to when they were together. Rupert makes a move. Rebecca immediately just cuts them off in place. And she moves to leave. How would you impact Rupert's expression after she moves to leave? He almost seems like he's surprised. That is the moment. That this is what I I wanted. This has been I've wanted this moment for fucking three seasons. Tell me, tell me. He we finally he finally saw what he lost. Yes, he finally got it. That in chasing younger women and then this concept of like I've lost something meaningful and beauty. I lost a wonderful person because mm-hmm. he he it finally started to dawn on him what a force of nature how unique and how special she is as a person and she's not and part she's of your life anymore gone and he's and he has lost her and when yeah. that that look when it all comes crashing down on him I've been wanting that for three fucking seasons I, I really enjoyed it it was it was well acted I think it's a well again this is a plot line that really worked from this episode of where it's got mixes surprise regret and then just a profound alone as she leaves and he's just kind of left their shoulders slumped by himself is that yes this is what your actions in life have led you to sir yep I love that he I love it and I, I I hope that Great we stuff. see more of that in the next two episodes. I Again. hope we see him more melancholy after this, this. This is a Rupert I actually enjoyed this episode. Because this reminded me more of the Rupert that had a certain element of nuance and complexity rather than the Rupert that they've been framing as just being a, you know, uh, Emperor Palpatine villain throughout the season just to make Nate look better. This is a Rupert I find a lot more interesting as a compelling as a character. So it's nice to see him in this particular way. And I'm with you. Don't just make him just be straight up heel for the last few episodes Give him some element of, hell, character growth or understanding the way you're doing with some other ones. Completely agree. Uh, Roy, meanwhile, was outside Keeley's house. Oh, boy. For some reason, trying to put the door, put the card underneath her door, she presumably has a mailbox that he could put that in. I don't know. Whatever. It's illegal to go in somebody's mailbox. You can drop off you mail in their that. mailbox. You should know that. No, you're not allowed to. You can put mail in their mailbox. You're not supposed to. You're you can, there's no issue. Nope. It's illegal. You should know this. You, 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 there's pilfering their mail and there's adding mail. You can obviously send letters to other people. Slide it under the door. Uh, Keely, it's also more romantic that way. 
Kaylee pulls the same game on Roy that she did back with uh, Ted back in season one, episode one. If she yells out behind him, Roy, what the fuck are you doing? Oi! He, he reacts the same Which way I Ted established did. two episodes ago. I love when the British go, oi. Yeah, it's a great thing. Makes me happy. Uh, Roy hands her the card, which she can't read because of his handwriting. I sympathize with Roy, I really do. So instead, Roy reads it aloud. Do you, I, do you have it? Uh, yeah, I've got it, but I, I, I think she can read it. She just wants him to say. I think she's saying, "Let's see, let's see how much you mean this." Because if you're willing to, because you know Roy, yes. If he's willing to sit and read this to her, then he fucking means it. Yeah, he does. Dear Kaylee, I want you to know something. You never did anything wrong. It was all me. I was stuck, stuck in my own shit. And I didn't want to cause you any harm with it, so I pulled away. But you are, you are, always will be, Kaylee fucking Jones. If I ever did anything, anything at all, made you feel that wasn't true, I am so sorry. I love you. Sincerely yours, Roy Kent XO. <laughs> love the XOXO on the end of it. I'll see you in the letter. Uh, it's a great moment. It's a well-delivered speech. It's perfectly well-acted. I liked the scene a lot. They share a nice moment. Keely thanks him. Roy just kind of nods. I almost hoped in that moment is that their relationship, romantic relationship, is done. But they've been able to improve as two people and exit on these But terms. when she took a turn to him, I said, oh. Oh, no, they're going that route. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. I I was, I would love the moment, but where they're going seems to be the two of them back together. But we'll see. And there's more people that are that are happy about that than are me and you. Me and you are I, in the minority here in the I fandom. I get that. I'm, and you know what? I, I, like, I, I like this show in part because I want the show to teach us. I'm on board with the... The core mission of the show, yes, which is to show us how to be better people as viewers. And so, if that if that if that means these two get back together, that's fine. I'm okay with it. But I just i I was with you. I just like the idea that like two people can have a breakup, make peace, and can be peaceful, be and happy kind, together, do something I've never done in my life. Which is like actually be friendly with an ex. I, I I thought that would almost kind of fit with where how Rupert and Rebecca were going for, but it didn't work because of Rupert's flaws. But instead, Roy has Roy and Keeley have progressed to the point that they could pull that off. But instead, what they're showing is basically like the only two people in the show who are capable of fucking doing this is Jamie and Keeley because Ted and Michelle aren't even doing it because Ted still has feelings and it's still yes. weird and all. And Michelle might have feelings for him. Like it, it, it can't do it with Rebecca and Sam because they still have feelings and that's all still mixed up. May Rebecca and Ted? The Maybe. Only, the only <laughs> but two they're, people, they're not exes. The only two people who have hooked up and, and broken up and, and are friendly now afterwards. Without it being weird with still ongoing feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, at Nate's parents' place, they're all laughing and having a grand old time because of the reveal between him and his dad. It's, it doesn't work for Spencer. He doesn't like this. I, I think it's still on a dying he term. He wants it cut. Get it out of here. Let them be unhappy and I sobbing just and just violence. Care. This is what I need. I fucking hate when families are happy. <laughs> <laughs> I need sobbing at Thanksgiving. Can't the fucking dad abuse him, please? I want to see him abuse him. Uh, Rebecca, though, shows up outside <laughs> Keeley's ass, which is a fun moment. Uh, Rebecca shows up at the door having not changed, and Keeley just screams, shrilly, Oh my god, have you been shot? <laughs> it's funny, but instead she reveals that she convinced a whole room of Rupert's dickhead friends, honestly, they seem fairly polite, that, uh, to pull out of the, the Kufu League. Uh, Keeley doesn't fully understand, but she's proud of her, and they discuss, you know, what this was, what it was going to be, where they are with respect to their relationships. And also, what the hell happened to Keely over the course of this episode? With Keely revealing, you know, funding was pulled, but I didn't really want to talk to you because it was awkward. And you, God, you know me with respect to those kind of things. I'm not going to tell you that kind of shit. Oh yeah, if something happens in Spencer's life. I don't. I hear about it like from like his fucking coworkers. I I, 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 never, I have my secretary write and send you a card. I, I never fucking learned about it on machine print. No handwriting. Never know what's going on. Uh, 
Rebecca takes the opportunity, though, to basically say, you know what, how about I just fund you? Kiwi's uncomfortable with it. She writes the number on a card the way That's you the do. That's the cutest thing in the world when she wrote it on the card. Yes. Yeah. That's what people in the movies do. Uh, but Rebecca is going to step in and help out her friend with respect to money to her that is, it matters most when she can do it helping other people, helping her friends around her. Kiwi's remarkably appreciative. She's also, you know, straight up horrified that Rupert tried to kiss Rebecca. So for some, some people this didn't work. They said something like some comment of, well, why didn't she just fund her to begin with? Well, because I don't think Rebecca had the idea to fund her. I, to I don't think Keely would have wanted it necessarily at that point either. I'll, t- I'll tell you this. I've said this many times. Like, I don't know what the per for me personally, I don't know what the purpose is of working really hard to make like, like good, a good amount of money in your life. If you can't take care of people you care about, mm-hmm. like that doesn't compute to me. Like if I can't, if I can't take care of people I care about, then I have no interest in making a good amount of money. And I feel like that's how, what Rebecca's saying here, which is like, what fucking purpose do I, is this money serving to me? How, how can it possibly make me happy? Why, why even have it? Can, can I, can if I, I can't do this. Can I offer, so, I, so it works for me. Can I offer you an alternative? Sure. Scrooge McDuck. Just straight up vault of coins. I personally recommend it. Yeah, that's the Spitzer, that's the Spitzer approach to, to accumulating wealth. I don't know, like, for, I guess for some people this felt cheap. It felt like a, like a nice little bow tie at the end. Yeah. But I, I just sort of identify with Rebecca's perspective here, which is like, this is, like, being a rich person, like, mm-hmm. this is kind of my responsibility is to take care of people I care about. And I think that's cool. Two, two comments on it. I'm actually okay with it. I think it kind of fits for the characters. It's honest, It's interesting, honestly, to see both kind of Nate and Keeley. They've been exiled this season. They've been doing their own separate plot lines, but they're now coming back into the other plot lines by going back to the to their former, you know, inspiration coach, whatever else, to seek either help or forgiveness or something along those lines. It's two plot lines that are different, they're kind of sharing a similar arc of returning home and finding a certain degree of peace and connection and closeness with respect. Okay, yeah, I get I get the theme. Sure. Uh, it's also interesting. I hope, sincerely hope that Keeley also takes the advice I've been offering many times over about the dangers of dating your boss and how that can blow up in your face. Don't hook up with Rebecca. Nothing good. No, nothing good to come there. There's a lot of people who ship those too. I um I, I think that Rebecca is doing this. Like, I mean, let's, let's just be honest. Mm. She's doing this more magnanimously, more as a gift than a true investment. Yes. So I don't think the level, I think the level of oversight Keith is going to get is highly diminished. Uh, there, there will be advice discussed over mimosas. Yeah, it will. She's not going to be on her like Jack was because she's no. not going to be as interested in getting money out of it. No. I, I, Which I'm is ver- a much better situation with Keeley, obviously. Yes. Also, still just don't hook up with your bosses. Don't uh, hook up with your bosses. They discuss Rupert. That's the, the official position of this podcast <laughs> network. The show disagrees, except on Jack. It's they were perfectly fine with Rebecca Sam, but they are not. They, they were clearly not okay with Rebecca with Rebecca and uh, Jack and Keeley. I don't. I don't. I don't get why they are so blasé about Rebecca and, and Sam. I don't get it. We'll see if they go back to it. Uh, they discuss Rupert. How you know it'd be utterly insane he to go back with you know someone that you uh, sent you to the bottom of the emotional barrel before. I mean, what kind of stupidity can you offer to even ponder that kind of thing? I'm really out there to the kids. If you have changed the contact name of the person in your phone to, to the, the devil, devil, don't go back with them. Uh, well, how do you feel about at this moment Roy walking up behind Keeley with Rebecca sharing the most knowing of all looks at Keeley while this is happening? You're throwing things up in the air. You are in full-on protest right now. You got, it's not for me. Uh, we got two episodes left. 
We'll see where they go from here. But what about you? What, do I, what did you think of this? What did I, you think about the fact that they had Kiberly going I, I, I've told you. I didn't want the two of them to get back together. I think they would have been more effective if they were able to have that kind of peace, have that kind of friendship, and not have it immediately be grounded in the two of them hooking back up. And let me explain something. Like, if you date attractive women, and Keely is like, She's a, fucking, she, she's she is like a, a model in universe. She's fucking twelve on any anything. I mean, she's unbelievably attractive and and fun and popular and rich and like, or at least you know, got good money. And yeah, like, she's comfortable. She's she is a catch of a catch of a catch. Like, there's no like, I'll just break up with her and six months later get back with her. Like, you have one shot at someone <laughs> like Keely, and that's it, man. This is so unrealistic that that he could go back with her. Like you, you, you don't break up with a Keely Jones and then just get back with her a few months later. You, as you emphasized, I think they're catering to the fan base here. I think the fans want was very invested in their relationship. They wanted the two of them back together. They're in Phoebe's mindset. The world's better with the two of them, the two of them together. Here's the thing: I I want people like because I feel like the show wants to show you the best, like show you how people can grow. And give you faith in people again. Mm-hmm. There's so many shows. Succession's one of them where, <laughs> where you will lose faith in people. They want they, this show. They want you to gain faith sure. in each other. And if these two getting back together does that for you, great. I'm not. I don't mean to diminish it, that. If you guys were, we like didn't need that. And cheering and crying. That's good. I'm glad that it did that for you. It just for these two guys sitting here talking about this. This for us, we were hoping it was something a little different. Meanwhile, something we were hoping for, and wish we'd gotten earlier in the season, Nate is at least attempting to make things right with respect to the people that he hurt with hurt at Richmond. He has snuck into the Richmond team club with the aid of you know Sewer Demon Renee to fix do all of uh, Will's work for him and leave him an apology note, which Will seems to very much understand and appreciate in the moment. How did this feel for you? Is this an aspect of the character development we've been wanting for Nate for a while? It's getting there. What? It, it's not enough. He, he, it's, to, it's he, token he's pretty late on. Sorry to Will. Yes, that's a start. Yes, we all know what the 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 Bowser in the castle is for Nate's redemption. Ted. Is Ted? He yes. has to have the conversation with Ted. And, and you, what's going to happen when he has this conversation with Ted Spencer? Go ahead and tell us. You never needed to apologize to me. Everything was fine. I'm just happy you're doing so well. And Spencer will start throwing things like I, I just did. You need to acknowledge, Ted, that someone hurts you. It's part of your theme. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Ted's, no. I think Ted's going to tell him, yeah, well, it did hurt, buddy. It did hurt, but I, I'm glad you're here. And, hey, would you we'll like see. to help? We'll see. Would you like to coach a team? Uh, Keely, meanwhile, with Rebecca's back, and he's back trying to rebuild connections and restart the business, and she is aided by Barbara in business dress returning the Slug Globe, revealing that she gave Jack her resignation and that she is eager to stay with Keely a while longer. They share a hug. They Yay. share a smile. Done did me no good by the Bahamas is starting to play. It's good, it's good stuff. I like that song. At Richmond, the song is playing. All the players have returned, including old Danny Rojas, now that him and Van Damme are on the same yeah, team again. Yeah, crazy, right? Yeah, it's like, such a great moment. Top you, 10 block. That was wild. Hey, I, I'm still giggling a bit, but I'm straight there with you. It's, yeah, I don't think it perfectly lands. Sam, meanwhile, stares off at his photo in his locker room of the 1994 Nigerian World Cup, uh, hoping someday that such things will come to pass. Maybe if he could offer $26 million in a bribe to the Nigerian government. Trent tries to ask Beard some questions about where Beard's from, and they share a look at Roy's new tie-dye t-shirt focus. Maybe a theme going on from here, with Beard noting in response to that that he's from Peoria. Rebecca, having apparently not auctioned off the hockey, puts it back on the wall, misleading things from back in season one. Hmm. Only, 
Only for Ted to return. Comment. Oh, is that cool? Did you draw that? She reveals that's a Hockney, to which Ted points that, oh, he's a very talented little boy. Hockney's not my style, but dude, you're casting aspersions to one of the most expensive paintings, uh, like, single most expensive uh, current, current alive artist in terms of what his work sells for. But, you know, not, not my style. Eh, he's okay. Yeah. Uh, she, she wants to share <laughs> something Ted. with Ted. Not me. Um, who, you know, he wants to share something that she realized recently was Ted, still very much being Ted, jumps in with how weird margarita pizza is when you don't have, when it doesn't have alcohol in it. Uh, Ted clarifies, no, 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 I don't want to talk about that. It's that I don't care if I beat Rupert anymore. That she's progressed beyond the point that what Rupert does or doesn't do doesn't matter. She still wants to win. God damn it, Ted, you will win this. But that kind of petty motivation just to get something over on her ex, that aspect of Rebecca that's been still enduring since season one has now faded away. She's able to finally move on. And that's kind of just ceremonial for them to win at this point. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's important to her, but whatever else. Uh, Ted comments that he wants to win two, and in a callback to the end of season one, she spits up all the tea right in his face. She, uh, she comments that's a kind of a ceremonial thing between the two of them, and Ted notes that as long as none of that tree piss gets in his mouth, he's actually okay with it. Hmm. End of episode. There it is. We finished the recap. All right, do you like it more or less after going through the recap? I don't... My, the dislike I have for parts of it is more me thinking that they could do it better rather than that they didn't do it okay. I think on the overall whole, I'm positive on the episode. I think I'm more positive than when I started. While still saying that I feel like that the show, particularly this season, isn't as well structured or planned out as it could have been. And it would have made all of these a bit more successful. Yeah, I think it, I think that our listeners often, it, this, this whole thing is intriguing. Because Me? They, yeah, because they, they see you struggle with, you know, perfect being the enemy of good. Yes. Like, like not able to just enjoy a show at a seven. Can't do it. Because you're like, it could I, be a ten. I know and, you can be a nine or a ten. That's how I'm going to judge it. Off. And like, yeah, it seems like you, seems like that's something that, that you deal with when you're watching a show like this. Because, like, the fact of the matter is, like, what Ted Lasso, the quality that Ted Lasso was in season one, like, most shows aren't going to do that for multiple seasons. So you're going to have to figure out a way to, like, deal with at least a different show. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like for you, the way you're dealing with it is, like, ah, it's not as good. That is a word I offer a lot in subject, on many different subjects, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know. I, I try to, I try to WWE it. Like, I've talked before on this podcast network about how, like, with WWE, like, my wrestling fan, like, you... You invest in certain storylines, certain ones you let go. Like right now, I can give a fuck about the Bray Wyatt storyline. I don't care. I don't watch it. But anything regarding anything with Becky Lynch or the Bloodline, I'm all in. So I, I'm doing you, that with the show. There's certain pick, things you, that work for me, certain things that don't. You pick your passion. And I certainly, I like in this episode, I was able to kind of passively ignore the Edwin Akufu scenes. But like anything with Nate and his dad landed with me emotionally. So I sucked in on that. Uh, so tell us now, what were, what were your three uh, particularly emotional moments of the episode? Yeah, uh, well, it was um, Rebecca in front of the the screen. On the subject of sports? Oh, no, no, in front of the mirror. In front of the mirror. Gotcha. When she was trying, she was fighting with that little girl and mm-hmm. trying to get the confidence, right, to, to do that. Um, and then uh, Nate and his dad. Mm-hmm. And then Roy with Keely. Before I knew. They were going to get back together. They were going to get back together. Gotcha. Um, but all three of those landed with me really hard. Nice. Uh, okay, let's jump into train wreck of the episode. Which character is the biggest train wreck this season, this episode? Rupert. Rupert's definitely the biggest train wreck. I mean, unless you want to, unless you want to 
elevate Edwin Akufu to the status of character. I can't take him seriously enough to so he's not even a character. Yeah, right, if he was in the matter. character pool, he would get R- it. Rupert is a character. He has had an arc. And we are seeing so much of what he has built up as part of his persona hurting him for what he actually is now realizing so way too late he actually wanted. I'm going to offer it to Beard. I think that... Oh, we, we because all, of Nate? I think we all love Beard, but I think like reveling in someone's pain mm-hmm. is a bad look no matter what's going on. Like I think that's something it, that Beard be- needs it's to... It's Beard's competitiveness. Yeah, but I think it's something Beard needs to work on. That's not yeah. that's not a good look to like sit there and go, man, I'm so glad this person is hurting. Like Beard, that's maybe not the human you want to be if you back up and look at that objectively. And I think he would probably tell you that when the, when the heat is off, right? When he's not like in that moment of like, yeah, fuck Nate. Like he probably would tell you objectively, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't want to be the person who revels in other people's pain. So I'm going to give it to Beard. Okay. All right. Let's jump into Sports Center Top 10 where we discuss 10 things, not 9, not 11, not 8, not 12. Things that we thought deserved more discussion or analysis. Spencer, what's your first thing in Sports Center Top 10? I realized we don't think we ever talked about him before, but David Hockney. Okay. We, we, we rarely re- last had him referenced back in Season 1, Episode 1, but he's an English painter. Really one of the most important contributors of the pop art movement, uh, going back into the 60s, but making one of the more influential British artists of the 20th century. Important thing to know about him, I'm going to do a live judging by you of what was, until recently, the single most expensive work of art sold uh, by a living artist. The work is entitled Portrait of an Artist, Pool with Two Figures. Sir, have you ever seen this painting before? No. Okay. I ask you, judge in the moment, art critic that you are, would you spend, how much money would you spend on this painting? Let's say I had a billion dollars. Billion dollars. I'd spend $5 million on that painting. You would spend $5 million on the painting. Would you spend $90 million in American dollars for that painting? I think it's a little high. I mean, tastes vary. I like this one better than the one that she has on the wall. I don't know how much that one would go for, potentially. But pop art, and particularly his style, it's not something I've ever liked that much. You don't much. like modern art. I don't particularly like know. It. I've enjoyed some like modern art presentations of where it's almost interactive and you're participating in it. Like I went to one recently of where if you touch the wall of this kind of graphic design, it would change and elaborate around you. Yeah, but didn't you get you. mad that they were making you go in specific rooms and you couldn't wander? They locked us in a goddamn room so we could experience it from all angles until we could left. That is just, pardon the term, wanky. It's like, I don't, I, I'm not here for the artist experience. I just want to experience it in my way. Don't Tell me how I should experience your art. You're fucking wanky. That's what I'm Look going for. Yes. Holy shit. Wanky. I do have that kind of trend of opinion with a lot of the <laughs> modern art, modern experience. I actually like some what kinds of modern that? art, but don't tailor how I'm, how, how I'm allowed to go through it. Unbelievable. So, David Ockney, very important character. His art is sold for utter millions on many different kinds of occasions, many kinds of rations. Dollars. Oh, it, it was recently so surpassed um, in 2019 by... 2019, uh, with I think it was Kuhn sold Rabbit for 91 million, but just a small little difference over there. But yeah, he's very, he's a legendary figure in that particular field, even if it doesn't resonate with us to the same degree. Yeah. All right. Well, mine, no shocker to anybody here. I'm going to dive in a little bit to Michael Jackson's high school basketball Jordan. career, or Michael Jordan. Yeah. Uh, Michael Jackson. <laughs> Did Michael Jackson play high school basketball? Uh, no. I don't okay. Think so. I don't think he even went to high school. Uh, it's hmm. a tough childhood. Oh, true. Yes. Uh, Jackson 5. Michael Jordan. Uh, there's often, it, this story is often gets told. It's like one of those like sort of old folklore things in sports where they say, well, you know, Michael Jackson didn't make his high school basketball team. That's mm-hmm. what you'll hear shorthand. Here's the, here's the modicum of truth in that is that when Michael Jordan was a sophomore, before he hit his growth spurt, he wasn't yet six feet tall. He tried out for the basketball team and he did not make varsity. Mm-hmm. He made varsity his junior and senior year. 
That's pretty standard. Most people don't make varsity when they're a sophomore. The coach said he was right on the edge, but he needed to work on his shooting. Now, anybody who follows Michael Jordan's game knows that Michael Jordan's shooting, he had, while being the best basketball player of all time, he's a very odd release. It's very flat. It drills straight at the basket. There's like a very low margin for error in his shot. That's what the coach wanted him to work on. So put him in junior varsity. Kind of strange, right? The coach was named Clifton Pop Herring. But this little retelling of Jordan didn't make the high school basketball team, and he being the guy that was the coach of the basketball team at the time, he got hate mail. He got people telling him he was stupid. He got eventually let go from the position. He kind of lived a bit of a rough life after that. And Jordan is a petty, spiteful human being. And he would often talk shit about Clip Hop. He, he, in interviews, he would say, that guy sucks. Jordan spiteful? Because he no. wouldn't put him on the, on the fucking varsity team as a sophomore. Uh, Clifton Pop Heron died at 69 uh, in 2019 and always was a little bit resentful about how he was treated in this situation. Michael Jordan, uh, just to let everybody know, was a bit of a late bloomer. He, in college, as a freshman, averaged 13.5 points, as a sophomore, 20, and as a junior, 19.6. It's often said that Dean Smith's the only person who could hold Michael Jordan to under 20 points a game. Hmm. Dean Smith being his coach. So it wasn't like Jordan got in college and was scoring 40 points a game, right? That came in his game when he was in his mid-20s. And so what Pop did in not putting him on the fucking varsity team when he was less than six foot tall when he was a sophomore, abundantly reasonable, and the guy just got piled on for years and years after it. Really not fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing just to comment on is we got to see briefly in this episode what the show is presenting as the owners of the various Premier League teams as part of Okufu's pitch to, you know, to form the European Super League. They are portrayed as being old, old, old English white guys. I looked at the actual ownership, and it kind of surprised me. There are indeed no black men and no women in terms of the ownership, but it's much more both racially and nationally diverse than I thought. If they were to portray it accurately, it seems like half of them should have been like American um, like investment guys in their mid and late 50s in there in terms of just, these are investment properties with respect to these teams. They are valuable bits of equity that people can put, you know, the billions that they have in to own them the same way you would own like a skyscraper in New York or something. So the ownership... It's just a who's who of billionaires around the world from various countries. I thought it was mostly Middle Easterners. It, it is heavily Middle Easterners. There's a lot of Saudis. There's a lot of... But I'll tell you, being a fan of WWE who, who dabbles in the Saudi market, I personally, really rich Saudi prince gives me a lot of old white guy vibe. Like, <laughs> there's similarities. The strange yes. like, social privilege that's mm-hmm. there in their world is kind of like kind of consistent. Oh, there are Iranian Americans, there are Pakistani Americans, there are Indians, there are a fair amount of Saudis, there are Greeks, there are a hell of a lot of Chinese given the you know, the growth of wealth in terms of that. It, there, there, it, there's a lot of different diversity occurring there though, but it doesn't kind of fit into the, the reference the show wanted to do there about you know, the isolated ownership and how isolated Rebecca feels from that. I feel like they could have still done that in the fact that she would indeed be the only female owner of a team. But I think they wanted to make it a little bit more on the nose with respect to her difference from those around, those in the room around her. Cool. Chicago style hot dog is referenced. Indeed, it is. A uh, couple questions for you, Spencer. Have you ever heard the phrase "drag through the garden"? No, that's a new one on me. That's what they call the Chicago style hot dog. Why? Ooh. Because these are the toppings. Let me ask you another question before I tell you the toppings. Do you think a Chicago style hot dog includes ketchup? No. Okay. Yeah, most Chicagoans are pretty strong that it does not include ketchup to the point. That a lot of hot dog vendors and hot dog shops in Chicago do not have ketchup in their store. You can't get it. Here is what is traditionally on a Chicago style hot dog. 
yellow mustard, chopped white onions, bright green sweet pickle relish, a dill pickle spear. So you have sweet pickles and a dill pickle spear. Doubling down on the pickles. Tomato slices or wedges, pickled sport peppers, and a dash of celery salt. Many Chicagoans will tell you the dash of celery salt. Super fucking important. This came about in 1929 when Frankfurt, Frank's, the big... German sausages from Vienna, pork sausages, made their way to Chicago. And if this was during the Great Depression, and people didn't have a lot of money, and so they literally would just throw every single thing they could on a hot dog, and that's sort of how this came to be. Um, I find it to be a really, a really solid style hot dog. I think that the New York style hot dog, which is really just like ketchup and mustard, is probably the most popular nationwide. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I love that Chicago has the Chicago style hot dog, which is a sort of out and left field variation of a hot dog, which is good. Most people like it, but it's like very different. And they have the same fucking thing with pizza. It's like, they're fucking strange in Chicago. Like the pizza, the option, the Chicago style pizza is also very fucking strange. It's so foreign, it doesn't fall into the category of like, if you're ordering a hot dog, you don't immediately default to Chicago style hot dog in your mind in terms of like, I'll have a hot dog. Same thing with pizza. Like you're thinking New York style pizza when you're thinking about thinking about pizza. They're great products in their own right. They're just completely in their own realm with respect to how they're presented. I'm willing to say this. I'm going to break news here on the Mangum Talks podcast network. Go on, first time hearing it. Yeah. So this is really breaking news. Hit the presses. Make sure you tweet about this, folks. I'm willing to say now on the record. Chicago style hot dog is my second favorite style hot dog ever. What number one is Carolina? Carolina style hot dog is number one. But I I really do like the Chicago style hot dog. I think it's fucking dope. Good for you. Uh, Madeline Kahn. Ah, Madeline Kahn. Madeline Kahn is one of my favorite comics that ever lived. Uh, she was a wonderful comedian, singer, actress. Did incredible roles on both daytime, uh, both television, also just numerous Tony nominations for her work on Broadway. What she's most famous to me, though, for is her longtime partnership with Mel Brooks in some ah. of the utterly best films. You, sir, you've seen, you've seen many films with her before, Clue included. I, I, I ask you, and I'll answer, I will answer myself. What, do you have a favorite Madeline Kahn role or film? Yes, but I want to be a weirdo and say a different one. So, yes, my favorite <laughs> my favorite is Blazing Saddles. Blazing yes. Saddles is a great film. Yeah, she's great in the role. Saddles. But I think a little low-key role she had was in the movie Nixon, which they did a biopic on Nixon in 1995, which I thought she was really good in. Mm-hmm. And that movie really covered what a complicated, strange psyche President Nixon had. Is that Oliver Stone? Is that yes, one of his films? It was. Yes. A very and interesting Anthony director. Hop- Anthony Hopkins was Nixon. And it really showed Nixon's um, depression and his, mm-hmm. his like internal like mental health struggles in a way that was like altogether like showed that he wasn't fit for the presidency, but maybe a little bit more sympathetic than other media at the time. Mm-hmm. So Blazing Saddles won honorable mention. Nixon, how about you? Young Frankenstein. Oh, it's a great film. It's a wonderful comedy. Both 1974, Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein. It was a good year for Mel Brooks, uh, but I I think she has an absolutely great entertaining role with respect to that. I think she has a lot lot of fun, and it's helped by, I think, it's Mel Brooks' best film. All right. Last one here. Do you have one more? I think I've got the same last one as you do. Uh, Do you? I don't think you do. European Super League? Yep, we do. All right, we have two left. I'll do this one really quick. Uncle Day. Uncle Day. Is it a thing? It is. Oh, God. It, in, Amer- in America. What, what, ho- what day was it of the year? In America, it is July 26th. Another July holiday. Look at that. Look at that. So you, July is a big, big month we are, for us. For us. For yes. Us. It's really big for us. As uncles, as people born in July. Mm-hmm. Uh, since we're not sharing the same birthday, by the yes. way, which is not bullshit. We actually do. It's kind of crazy. Canada Day. Um, all right. So now, 
it's different in different countries. Um, so Uncle Day in Russia, March 8th. Uncle Day in Mexico, May 10th. Uncle Day in India, last day of the Hindu lunar calendar month of Srivana. And in India, uh, yeah, that's what it was. And in Portugal, April 10th. That is no overlap at all between those holidays. Yeah, they just pick different days. Okay. It's Uncle Day. So make sure you tell your niece and nephews they need to do something nice for you this July 26th. I'll do the same. What can you tell us, sir, about the European Super League? Uh, well, it happened. They, they, it, so the, it, it happened, and it may happen again. All right. So you probably have more specifics. Let me tell you a layman's memory of what occurred. I, I'll, I'll offer that to you. We don't they, need to go into the details. They came out really, really obscenely rich people came out with at a press conference and said, "Hey, we're going to create a super league." Now, the general idea behind this was like recently, too, yeah, like, like two, three years, years ago. Yeah, I think it was post-pandemic, right? Yeah, like two thousand twenty, twenty-one or something. Like that. Yeah, they came out and they said. The general idea was the teams you all like to watch, mm-hmm. Real Madrid, the best teams, Barcelona, you know, the, the all big, the best players. Yeah, the head ones, like, right, from all these different leagues. Um, you, these are what you, these are what you want to see. Why don't we put all of them in a league together? Yep. Now, on the surface, why watch the chaff? Only the, see the, the wheat, the great. On the surface, that sounds great. But the, the issue is, is like the Premier League in London or in, in the United Kingdom. Yeah. There's a lot of smaller teams. That exist all throughout the island, and they rely on like Being Man City, you know, Man City and some of the big dogs to generate revenue to put eyeballs on the screen to support the league. It's kind of the same way, like in the the, the NBA, like you have the Lakers and the Celtics and the Golden State Warriors and these team and the Knicks and these big markets, and they help the teams like the Minnesota Timberwolves and the San Antonio Spurs, who you know, are very important in their regional area, but not necessarily national or worldwide teams. Mm-hmm. And so while it sounded like a good idea, oh, yeah, we're just going to stick all the great teams in a league together, people were hugely concerned that their local teams would die because all it, they would basically poach all the big dogs out of that league and they wouldn't be able to generate revenue to sustain. Leave and that's what I remember. And I remember that it, became, it was that the people in Europe who can't agree on a fucking thing? Almost to a man, just went. They can't even. Yeah. They can't even agree on like what money they're going to use. Yes, like went bananas to the point that they actually had to stop it. Yeah, they didn't do it. It was going to be world changing. They announced it. Yeah, you know, I got it written down. It's April twenty twenty one. It was supposed to eventually include eighty teams around the world. It would be the league, the new dominant league, yeah, affecting yeah. all the world around. Yeah, so, league. Uh, start with about, we were going to, going to include 20, I think it was only 12 teams are actually specifically announced were committed to it, including six Premier League teams were signed up from the word go to be part of this thing. And like you said, the level of scorn, of outrage, of straight up governments basically saying we'll ban you from our country and remove your visa if you ever even consider joining this, was off the charts. People went out of their minds. Like they had no Rebecca in the room to tell them this was a bad idea, to snuff this ba- behind the scenes. It was announced, and the world said no. Premier League basically just straight up said, if any of you teams ever even consider joining something like this, we'll, we'll, we'll fine you millions of dollars, kick you out of the sport, punish you for any future games you play in, all kinds of shits. And that was up and down around the world and, in this subject. And this was not because the people in the government are such good people. The government go- governments are nothing, nothing but an <laughs> Their instrument. voters were pissed. It's nothing but an instrument of the voters. Yes. Because right? the voters went crazy. And, like, I, I listen to a lot of different sports podcasts because I'm a sports fan. I particularly love basketball, but I also follow football and also follow baseball. 
And I had people come on. I had, a, I had some people come on basketball podcast. They don't have shit to do with fucking soccer, football. To say this would be a horrible To idea. say, I need all of you people to understand why this is so bad and why yes. we're so angry about it. And they like literally just explained it to me. And it made perfect sense. Because I was like, you can't, you could do that, I guess. But if you do that, you're going to kill regional soccer. In essence, what you'll end up with is like England would have two teams. Mm-hmm. Spain would have one team. Italy would have one team. Right? Like, it, you wouldn't have all these different regional teams where people literally, and this this occurs in, in the United Kingdom, and it's the coolest fucking thing, hmm? is that in the Premier League, you've they, got your corner they've team. Got, they've, they've got teams they can walk to. Yeah. It's part of the community. In their, in their little you know right. regional area that's not a major metropolitan area, they can walk to their team and walk to the pitch. And play. And like, I think it's the coolest thing. What's the closest thing that we have to that in the U.S.? Would it be like you know minor league baseball kind of thing, just in terms of just having a local team kind of experience? I think I think that the closest thing is is collegiate teams. Collegiate, yeah, collegiate's a great call in that regard. because people people feel such in it such a part of with those. Like like I just explained my my, my affection for the UNC basketball program. Like I went to I went to UNC. Like I feel like I'm part of that university. I feel like the team is part of me. Like. It's a strange feeling, like, and I know you don't have it, but like, mm. I, I feel like that team, like, I have a point oh oh one percent ownership of, and I really care about that. Like, it means a lot to me. It'll be curious to see them that just this year, in February, they announced again they're going to try, not with teams, more of like a general aspirational idea of structure, what it would be that we're still interested and in, we're still driving towards this. But behind the scenes, there are clearly some organizers that are still trying to get this to work. And why is that? Because it would make them a fortune. That this would indeed be incredibly revolutionary for the sport. Not in a great way for all the fans, potentially. But for the founders, for the organizers, for the teams that would be involved in it, it could make them a hell of a lot of money. Well, it's a collective action issue, right? Because, like, of course people want to see Barcelona play Man City. But if they're willing to turn their fucking televisions off, then they they could stop it. But it would be a you know it's it's the cow grazing the grass it, collective action issue because people are going to turn it on and watch it. It will be harder this time around just based on the number of laws, regulations, and established you know, prohibitions and punishments that are being put in place if anyone attempts to do this again to the teams. There's dissuading efforts to the teams and their owners associated with this. So there's going to be attempts in the future. Anything that makes money, could, could make money is going to have further attempts at trying to bring it about. But I think now that people are aware that it's being pondered, it's going to be a much more uphill fight. Something similar happened in golf with the Live Golf Tour. Didn't, where, didn't that kind of happen? Yeah, well, they the Live Golf Tour, which is sponsored by the Saudi federal government, yeah. um, wanted to create like a super golf league where they take just the best players and they right. have and a pay a fortune for them to do and it. And that was a concern because it, golf has a lot of small little regional tournaments, the mm-hmm. PGA Tour does, that like support a lot of little local clubs that are really important to certain areas. They have for States. a long time. And what happened is the, they were actually had a modicum of collective action. Like golf fans generally don't watch live. Their ratings are, they suck. And it's, it's amazing because they'll have like the ten best golfers in the world in a golf tournament, and, and no one watches it. No one watches it. And, they're, and, and they're actually losing money year over year, and it might actually kill the thing. Power to them. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, that's all I got. Me too. That was right. t- that was ten, right? That was ten. All right. Ted's life lessons of the episode. A little tough to do a, a life lesson for Ted when Ted's not in the episode, huh? This, how many episodes in a row is this where Ted's basically in the background? I feel Again, I feel like they've been very much trying to wrap up everybody else's plot line to focus on Ted for the last couple episodes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that the, 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 the life lesson 
in this episode more than anything to me is is Sinner and Rebecca, right? Sure. And this concept of like showing up, speaking your mind, mm-hmm. and being a leader, even if you don't feel like it. Like I, like in my personal life, like I, I've had a lot of people tell me like. And I'm not trying to brag on myself. They have. They told me like that I like have leadership traits, or I'm a leader, or I'm somebody who should speak up, or like I should be the person leading the whatever group we're in, or whatever. And that can be fucking daunting and scary, and it kind of sucks, and it feels like an obligation you don't want to have. And I think that Rebecca was going through all of those things. Mm-hmm. She didn't want to res- have to represent all women no. in this room. She didn't want to have to res- represent all soccer fans, regional soccer fans in this room. But she had a chance to do so and affect positive change and do good in the world. And therefore she wore that hat temporarily, even though we got to see behind the curtain that it was hard and it was a burden for her. Mm -hmm. And so I guess maybe that's like the lesson for me in this episode is like, if you have a chance to be a leader and, and within that, do some good, help people, guide people in a positive direction it can be a burden. It can be hard, mm-hmm. but it might be might be uh, your chance to do good that day. So maybe it's something you should take a shot at. And that's what Rebecca did, and she I actually did like some, and she actually did some good. So shout out Rebecca. Shout out the show. I did a couple teary moments for me this episode. It was it's the type of episode where like I let myself get lost in it, mm-hmm. but as I watched it, I knew I was going to have text conversations. With Spencer <laughs> about how much I'm here to bring you down. I sir. knew you weren't going to like it. It wasn't like I was sitting there like, "Oh, Spencer's going to love this episode." It's like, no, nah, it's, 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 it's a you, little you, too scattered. You saw the threads that annoy me, and I even said it. I said yeah, the first thing I said was, yeah. "I know this is scattered. I know it's kind of all over the place." So. I and again, I still enjoyed it. I just can't. I can't. The the threads will always annoy me. Yeah. All right. Well, Spencer, let's say we weren't doing the podcast. Sure. Would you watch the last two episodes? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. You're not. You're not quite that out yet. I'm not at all that out. I, I still. I'm still enjoying the show. I'm still enjoying the character. I'm still curious where they're going to wrap things up. I'm just, you know, imagining in my mind how I think I, they could have done a few things better. All right. I think we have two episodes left. We're, let's go ahead and do our predictions. I'm going to do mine right now, and then we'll wrap up. Okay. Um, Ted was going to go back to Kansas. Agreed. Uh, Nate will take over the show. Rebecca will be, end up back with Sam. Keely and Roy, that shit's already done. Mm. Um, and Rupert will... There will be some mea culpa from Rupert, like I've done... Like a, like a press conference or something where... He has to give up ownership of the team, and he says he's not, you know, treated women in the workplace right, et cetera, et cetera. And we'll see Rupert's downfall. Will Beard go back with Ted, or will we remain behind with Jane? The two of them separate. Beard will stay in the United Kingdom to stay with Jane and to be with Nate. I think I like that better. Yeah. Okay. What do you think? I think all of those are. I think. I think you've honestly hit pretty well. I think a lot of them have been telegraphed fairly well. The only one I'm uncertain about. Of the ones that you hit, I'm still kind of curious what happens for Roy professionally. So that I don't find it perfectly satisfying if he just kind of works under Nate. So I don't know whether that I don't know how they're going to balance that out with respect to it because I think that they were setting up that he's capable of being more than just an assistant coach that fades into the background. So if he's just again just working under Nate with respect to Nate being head coach again, I don't know if that perfectly satisfies me in terms of wrapping up his plot line. I'd like to see him like go coach like university Chelsea. He, he could coach Chelsea, but I'd like to see him work with kids. He's yeah. so good with kids. They've set that up. Hey, be, be a teacher with Mrs. Bowen. I'd like to see him work with kids. I feel like that would work really well. So that's what I'm I'm kind of rooting for personally. Okay. 
I, I, I like the structure you, you, you cast for this season, sir. I think a lot of those are very well set up, and I think uh, reasonable bets for most of them in terms of how this is going to wrap up. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Spencer, what a fucking joy doing the podcast in a room with you. <laughs> Happy to do it, it's man. so much fun. Thanks for doing the podcast with me. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for all your uh, likes, retweets, engagements, subscriptions, comments, reviews, all of that stuff. We really appreciate it. It motivates us. It keeps us going. You might notice this is an ad-free podcast because we are amateurs. We don't make money doing this. Mm-hmm. So every bit of feedback that we get from you all is what motivates us to keep going, to put this out every week. So thank you all for doing that. We'll be back with you next week for the penultimate episode of Ted Lasso, the series, I believe. Hope everybody has a good week. See you. Later.